friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. This episode has been very, very long awaited. Mm -hmm. It's something that every time I think about like becoming Buffy or just like showing people Buffy in general, I always like sit back and I'm like eagerly awaiting this episode because everyone knows who loves Buffy. This is like the catapult into the greatness of the second half of season two. So to say that I am excited is an understatement because I feel like there's just so much, but I'm just, ugh, I'm so excited to get into it. But if you're tuning in for the first time, this is a spoiler-free section for the episode surprise. We will be discussing the spoiler section for this episode, combining with the spoiler section of Innocence in two weeks, because we felt like recording What's My Line Part 1 and Part 2 after we recorded everything, we realized we probably could have condensed to the spoiler section of both of those into one episode because it's like a slow burn in the first part. Mm -hmm. And then the second part, you're like, oh, I could have probably condensed this into one episode. <laughs> so, and especially if this is your first time watching Buffy, this kind of ends on a cliffhanger. So <laughs> we decided that we would talk about all of it in one huge spoiler section for Surprise and Innocence. So if you want to stick around for that, episode i guarantee it's gonna be probably really long so <laughs> i'm just prefacing everyone on that now but we will have much to discuss for that yeah when it comes to you know the part one and part two episodes it's just a lot easier to combine the spoiler section simply because they're mm -hmm. basically one long arc and it's just really hard to talk about one without the other but i'm excited I'm so excited to talk about this episode. I feel like there's so much to dig into. There's so many little things that I picked up that I just never even thought about before. Mm. It's just, it's so good. And I'm so excited. It was funny watching this because, I mean, inevitably, we all know that this is going to change Buffy and Angel's relationship. Like, we can all just see it coming a mile away. Um but I love about this episode is it really delves into how much Buffy and Angel love each other. And mm -hmm. I think that that's so important moving forward. Um, there's just so many good moments in this episode. It's it's well-written. It's well-filmed. It's well-directed and acted. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just got everything. It's it's such a good payoff, especially after the two episodes we've just come from. Like, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. I love Ted. But it's like both Ted and Bad Eggs was such a pause from the overall trajectory of the show. Cause I mean, we finished What's My Line part one and part two. We're like, whoa, yeah, we're really ramping up. And then it was like, okay, back to like a standalone. So I'm really glad to like get back into the meat of the show. And I mean, we said this with What's My Line as well, but this is really and truly where the show just changes for the season. And it's, it's amazing and no one sees it coming. <laughs> All right, so let's jump in because I have a feeling this is going to be a long episode and there's a lot to talk about. So Surprise, Season 2, Episode 13, written by Marty Noxon, who just – Surprise, surprise. I mean, yeah, I know, right? Marty Noxon just does a good job of writing some really amazing angel moments and some really yeah. good just relationship character moments. Or heart-wrenching, either one. You'll get to know Marty Noxon's writing style 
real well. And it's, it's very much a love-hate relationship. Anytime I see her name on the screen, I'm like, oh, frick. Here we go. It's going to be a well-rounded episode, but I'm probably going to be crying at the end. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, directed by Michael Lange. Aired January 19th, 1998. Um, so a couple things. First of all, surprise and the next episode, Innocence, were written as technically part one and part two. And they actually aired um, on consecutive nights. So they, the WB, which is the network that Buffy was on, wanted to switch Buffy over from Monday nights to Tuesday nights. Tuesday was more of a primetime spot. And so they decided to air Surprise on Monday night. And Innocence aired the hmm. next night on Tuesday in its new time slot. And it was actually a really brilliant move because it left on a cliffhanger and everyone wanted to know what was going to happen with Angel. And so then everybody switched – immediately went over on Tuesday to watch it. And it was very clever because if they had waited a week to switch, I don't know that they would have gotten as many people because it's just like after a week, you're not really thinking about things as much and it's easy to forget. So hmm. I thought that was really smart. Well, then you have them hooked for Innocence, and then they're going to inevitably watch next Tuesday for the next episode. Yep, exactly. Because Innocence was literally amazing, so. Yeah, but we'll talk about that in two weeks, or I guess next week. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Um, it was a turning point for the series and for the show. The WB was writing on this doing well, and everyone was pretty much certain that this was kind of make or break of whether or not the show was going to get renewed. So it was kind of like if Buffy does really well, then, you know, we're doing well. Um, it's interesting because the WB wanted to use Buffy to anchor Tuesday night slots so that they could help launch new shows. And because Buffy did so well, they launched Dawson's Creek and Felicity. And hmm. both those shows are now, like, I think in some ways even more well-known than Buffy. At least Dawson's Creek is. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was really neat. I had no idea that Surprise and Innocence were technically deemed a two-parter. Um, so this is what Joss had to say about this episode. He said that Surprise and Innocence were the epitome of what the show could be at its best, telling stories of epic and deeply personal stakes within the same story. Surprise and Innocence represent the mission statement of the show more than any other show we've done because they operate on a very mythic level and a very personal level. Sci-Fi Wire quotes Joss Whedon saying that he called them the most important episodes of Buffy that they ever did for the way it blended the emotional resonance of horror with the high school experience that is one of the most ubiquitous shared experiences in modern culture. The trick to good science fiction is to make sure it's relatable, and Buffy had a knack for making the monsters both real and emotional, and never was that more palpable in these episodes. And then Joss also wanted to say he didn't necessarily want the consequences of sex being the theme of the episode, but simply just to show that Buffy's world isn't a happy place because it's on a hellmouth. He said, I don't really want to be telling them one thing or another, but inevitably in a horror show, you end up punishing people for everything they do, just so you can find the horror, the real emotional horror of everything they go through. Buffy drinks beer, not going to go well for her. Buffy has sex with her boyfriend, not going to go well for her. The important thing is to make the punishment emotional and not have her be an axe murdered <laughs> and also let her grow from it. Let her be stronger. Let it resonate on a normal emotional level instead of on some evil higher power that must put an axe into their heads just because 
because they dared to have sex. I also don't view it as like a punishment for Buffy. I view it as like, this is what girls go through Mm -hmm. and it's not their fault. It's the guy's fault for manipulating them into that. Sure. And making them feel vulnerable into that in like a real sense, not necessarily like in the sense because Angel didn't do that, but that's how guys act in real life sometimes to girls. Yeah, sure. And I mean, vice versa too, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes guys can act that way to, or sometimes girls can act that way to guys as well. I think it's just, that's the beauty of sci-fi and with supernatural shows is you can use things like this as a metaphor mm-hmm. for what happens in real life. I think I, I also kind of interpret it as like, there is just consequences when it comes to slayers and how they're first duty unfortunately is always to sling and even when they try and put other things in front of it like somehow it always gets back on them yeah unfortunately very true um i also wanted to talk about how there are a lot of correlations between drusilla and buffy in this not only this episode but it has been leading up to this episode Mm -hmm. that i've been dying to talk about but specifically (laughs) this episode there are subtleties and there are major correlations in this episode yep drew is at the height of her power right now Mm -hmm. both women have prophetic dreams both were slash are obsessions of angel slash angelus and both have the same birthday isn't that crazy i just like mind-blowing so I, I think that the writers have been subtly hinting at it for several episodes now. And in this episode, they were like, hey, guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hitting us over the head with it. This episode and the part two, in a sense, won the technical Emmy for best makeup for a series on August 30th, 1998, which I totally think was deserved because Buffy looks amazing in this episode, Mm -hmm. but so does like everybody else's makeup. It just is, it's flawless. As much as I'm happy that Buffy got an Emmy for makeup though, I'm like, can we throw Sarah Michelle Gellar like an Emmy sometime (laughs) ever in the show? Like, I think that she was snubbed. It's so hard because like, I really just feel like Buffy was so underappreciated in its time and stuff. Um, because I feel like if the episodes and stuff were to actually get nominated for awards and stuff, they would have won. Like, they just were so good. And I know we're partial, but still. Yeah. It was really a trailblazer and unfortunately got snubbed a lot because it was simply a supernatural show. But yeah, it's okay. We can still look back and appreciate it. But I will say the Emmy for Best Makeup is definitely deserved. I mean, the vampire mm-hmm. makeup that's done in the in the show, um, not to mention just the regular makeup and stuff is just phenomenal. I was I was going to always talk about it, but I'll talk about it in the beginning. So I noticed, one, that Buffy switches out her normal black leather jacket for a white one. We've never seen this before. This is the only episode we've seen it up until this point i don't remember if it's in the future i'll point it out if it is but not just that she wears a white shirt at one point she mm-hmm. constantly has accents of white in every single outfit she wears and we have never seen her in this much white the last time we saw her in, in this much white was when she wore a white dress and died in prophecy girl which was representing her innocence but what i also noted is to counteract that Jenny Callender 
were a ton of black in this episode. This was the first time I saw Jenny Calendar in a black leather jacket, one that we've seen Buffy wear constantly. And I think that they did this purposely to show Buffy's like innocence and her purity and how this was kind of like not that losing your virginity and everything makes you, you know, lose your innocence. Yeah, but like, yeah. <laughs> I did I do think that it wanted to show that like Buffy had a lot of innocence in her and Jenny did not have as much innocence because as we're finding out in this episode, she has a she's lot being exposed. Going, yeah, she has mm-hmm. a lot going on underneath, a lot that she's lying and hiding. And so I think that it mm-hmm. wanted to show the difference between Buffy being authentic and genuine and honest and Jenny not being so. I mean, okay, so Jenny does wear a black leather jacket in previous episodes, but I will say there's one when you first see Jenny for the first time in this episode, she's wearing an all red outfit. And I think that they use red a ton in this episode. They use Mm -hmm. color in all the wardrobe and even Mm -hmm. the lighting a ton in this episode. And she's wearing red. And I think that you're supposed to kind of think of Jenny as the villain in some ways in this episode. Mm -hmm. And we're not quite sure where she's at. And so I think that her wardrobe is starting to kind of like subtly lead us in that direction before the big reveal. And then speaking of Jenny, wonderful segue. Thank you, Leah. (laughs) (laughs) Leah's like, back (laughs) to you, Bob. (laughs) And that's the weather report. Yeah, exactly. The weather, the state of the clothing weather in Sunnydale. Um, Jenny wasn't originally a gypsy, and I think we can all kind of guess that. They thought it would be interesting and solve a lot of problems that they try not to tell a lot about a character until they need to. So they leave things open-ended. Joss talks about this. He's like, they leave things open-ended so they can just be like, hey, um, let's make Jenny a gypsy because that would be super compelling, Um, which I think is clever. And I think that honestly, there's enough stuff that happens. I mean, we talk about um, in the spoiler section, we'll talk about later, but like how in the dark age and even in Lie to Me, there's little hints of things that come to pay off in this episode, especially between Jenny and Giles and her not telling the truth. And then um, this is really interesting too, but much of the vampire and werewolf folklore that we have today actually originated from gypsies. So this is a segment from Bite Me by Nikki Stafford. Says gypsies originated in northern India, but through centuries of massacre and persecution, they have scattered all over the world. The Calderas gypsies, who are from the Balkans and are found mostly in Central Europe, are the most numerous because gypsies were a migratory people. They were renowned for bringing new inventions, ideas, and folklore to other people. What makes a gypsy element in Buffy so interesting is that much of the vampire and werewolf folklore originated with them. They have a rich oral tradition, and their language is Romani, a highly inflected tongue that likely descended from Sanskrit. Many of the gypsies' oral stories reflected their anger after years of persecution and misunderstanding. Throughout history, gypsies have been blamed for strange occurrences and subsequently banished from the areas in which they stopped and set up camp. Within the tribal groups, nothing is more revered than loyalty and cohesiveness, which explains Enyos's anger when he accuses Jenny of forgetting her people. Technological advances and urban culture are the biggest concerns of gypsies who feel that those outside forces may threaten their lifestyle, and Jenny is a computer science teacher who seems to have embraced urban culture. The other threat to the gypsy culture is intermarriage with non-gypsies. Thus, Jenny is torn between her loyalty to and love for a people that has raised her and proved 
provided her with a belief system and the duty she feels towards her friends and the man she loves. So kind of long, but I thought that was really interesting going into this, like knowing about, I think the oral history that gypsies have, it would make sense that they passed down everything that happened with Angel and him killing that gypsy Mm. girl. And then on top of that, the fact that they like revenge and vengeance is really big on big in their culture. And so it just all ties together really neatly and makes for a really cool backstory um, for Angel and this whole episode. I will say, I I think that for the most part, um, as far as like backstories and stuff go and Buffy, they do a pretty good job. I think with Jenny, there's a couple stuff that is kind of like, eh, to me. Like the fact that there was like a whole storyline where she gets mad at Giles for like putting her in danger essentially and then distance herself from him but then it's like you find out that she literally is in sunnydale to practically put herself in danger by being around angel and it could be that like she was lying to giles because she wanted to like distance herself from him but then it's like why did she go back like after i learned that uh jenny like had like that backstory and stuff that whole storyline just kind of didn't make sense to me anymore. So we're a couple people and I discussed this actually on our Instagram a couple weeks back when we were specifically discussing the Dark Age. And there is a theory, and I think it actually can make sense if you think about it this way. So most likely, Jenny was sent there to watch Angel, right? Mm-hmm. And through that time, there's probably a – she saw Giles and either was A, attracted to him – or I guess she pro- she was attracted to him. Let's just say that. We know Jenny was attracted to Giles. I think there's no We're all if. attracted to Giles. She was. <laughs> so Jenny's attracted to Giles, but she also sees him as an opportunity to stay close to the Slayer, mm-hmm. Buffy, who is close to Angel. It's like a way to stay within the group. Like it's very clever because, you know, like she's just going to show up every once in a while. She inserts herself in the group. It would also make sense why Jenny was aware of the occult, was aware of what Giles was. And she's the one that approaches him and says, hey, I know I know about something that's going on. She, mm-hmm. I think it's, um, yeah, it's back in I, Robot, You, Jane. She figures it out and she goes to Giles. That yeah. makes sense with her Those being a gypsy. Those kind of stuff do make sense, yeah. Okay, sure. so then when it comes to Giles, I believe that through her process of like, hey, I'm just going to like date Giles or like see where this goes. I think she truly fell in love with Giles or at least started to really care for him. And so I think there's a difference between being sent to watch and observe Angel and then actually actively getting possessed and hurt in the process. And also get this, she's sent there to watch Angel. She's probably not a huge fan of Angel. And then he saves her life. That's when she distances herself. That's true. That could be a different layer on. Yes, she even says that to her uncle. He saved my life. He's trying. So it's there's it's multi layered here. It's quite possible that she distanced herself because she was realizing that she truly does care for Giles and is like, um, I I'm in this too deep. I need to back off a little bit. And slash or she sees that Angel's actually like making amends, trying to better himself and and he saves her life and so she's like i i need to actually evaluate if this is what i want to do and so we see her pulling back and then she approaches giles again after she feels like she hurt him and so i think that at this point she's just in it too deep you know what i mean so i think Mm -hmm. that can be excused i think and i think it all actually kind of makes sense in a lot of ways yeah i guess that's fair 
Yeah. But that is a good question, Leah. Um, all right. So let's jump into the episode now that we're like almost a half hour into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we start in Buffy's room. She can't sleep, gets up to get another drink of water. And then what the heck, Drusilla's in her house. Jarring. That is, I did. Oh, uh, gosh. I noted that this scene where she's like tossing and turning or whatever and like gets up before she like realizes she's in the dream or whatever. It kind of mirrors like the first uh, episode where we notice her like tossing and turning and having like prophecies and stuff. And I think they did that on purpose because they wanted to kind of show that this was like a prophetic dream, not just a nightmare. Because like the Mm. last time we saw her like this, it was another prophetic dream. So like about like a villain too. Like you see Drusilla in this, the other one you saw the master. So like I like how it kind of was like being like, hey, we're reintroducing like the villain again just like we did in the first season. Wow. That's some pro-podcasting stuff, Leah. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the bar is so low. I'm over here like <laughs> analyzing that. Uh-huh, that's nice. And Leah says something, everybody's like, wow. It's because hey. I expect excellence from you, Sarah. Thank and you, you always need it. Oh <laughs> wow. Wow. That's some excellent butt kissing, Tabby. <laughs> I'm being serious. You you like carry the whole podcast. No, thank you. I told Andrew I'm the cake, Tabby's the frosting, and Leah's the, the little cherry. sprinkles on the top. The cherry. <laughs> we can't have a cake without any of you guys. We need you just as much as we need me. No, I'm the candle. Oh, you're the candle. Okay, yeah. Tabby's the frosting and the sprinkles. Yeah. But seeing Drusilla inside of Buffy's house is jarring, and I think it sets this dream apart from any other because it's like. We're literally in Buffy's house and then there's Drusilla and she's got, you know, the little blood on the side of her lip coming down. Mm -hmm. And we're like, for a split second, I was like, did she eat Joyce? What happened? (laughs) It's just scary. Um, And then we have that moment where Buffy opens the door and we're now in the bronze. And this is just so interesting. I get really excited anytime there's a dream sequence in the Buffyverse because that means there's a lot to dissect. And this Mm -hmm. is no exception for sure. So the last time that Buffy had a prophetic dream was in Welcome to the Hellmouth and then in Prophecy Girl and then now here. And I wrote in my notes, that's never good whenever we know Buffy's having a prophetic dream because she rarely dreams about something Oh my gosh, I'm dreaming. Yeah, it's always sad. Yeah, exactly. The Song of the Bronze is called Anything by Sean Murray and Sean Clement. And so we have Buffy walking in the bronze and she walks to a table where Willow is talking to a monkey. And I, I wanted to say that I made a mistake because when we were talking in the spoiler section of What's My Line, I thought that this sequence happened in a later episode, but it, it actually happens in this one. So my apologies, everyone. Always fact check me. You never know. Um, but it's really funny because Willow is talking to the monkey in French and it translates to the hippo has stolen your pants, which is a reference to Oz saying that the hippo was jealous the monkey's pants of the monkey's pants and that all monkeys wear French from What's My Line Part 2. Oh, very cute. I know. Mm-hmm. Isn't that so cute? Um, and so it, I think another layer on top of that is that how else would Buffy have known that unless Willow told her about that? And I think this is just like another example of how um, Buffy and Willow's friendship is very close. And I think that's just really sweet. But also this is the episode where Oz like asks her out and finds out about everything too. So it makes sense that that little nod is in her dream sequence. 
Oh, that's a good point, Tabs. And it would also make sense why Buffy kind of nudges Willow in that direction later on because she's like, mm. hey, I dreamed about it. You know, you should go do it. <laughs> I dreamed about it. It's coming to pass. Let's go. Um, and then Buffy continues past the table to where Joyce is standing, holding a green teacup and saucer. Joyce says, do you really think you're ready, Buffy? Drops her saucer and then just walks away, like completely like unconcerned by anything. And Buffy is confused. She turns to go past Willow at the table, walks to the stage. Now, this is interesting. So how I translate it as everyone is – pretty much other than Willow and Joyce, not really acknowledging Buffy. Buffy is kind of, I think the bronze is supposed to symbolize how Buffy is going through life and how everyone is doing their normal thing. Like Willow's going on a date with Oz. Like she sees Buffy and waves and everything, but she's starting to become preoccupied with her new relationship with Oz. And Joyce, the fact, the way that she turns around and talks to Buffy and then turns around and keeps going, I think it's supposed to symbolize how Joyce has her own life. Well, she's also unaware of what's going on. Yeah, she's just really mm-hmm. clueless of the pain and the loneliness that her daughter often feels. And so I think as Buffy was walking to the stage, like the emotion on her face and everything is just loneliness. Like Buffy is alone. Until she looks at Angel. Until she looks across the room and Angel is also alone. And it's Mm -hmm. symbolic of them finding each other in their lives. And they're two lonely people that see each other and have a connection. I will say though, like they have such a connection and you can tell they just want to be near each other. They want to touch each other, which could be something. Um, I mean, like we know what happens at the end of the episode and we'll talk about more about that next episode, but it's like they, they long for something that they are unsure could really come into fruition because of the life that they both live or lack thereof in Angel's case. Um, but I just like, they reach out to like feel that comfort in each other or to even be close in general and that's stripped away from them like he's literally dusted but also he's wearing the ring the the clada ring mm-hmm. and she'd never seen it before she mm-hmm. dreamed about it before he gave it yep. to her which is really and interesting. it has to be there for a reason just because it's perfectly in shot and instead of having like his whole body be dusted, which th- they did show for a second, but they focus more on the hands where they didn't even touch and he's wearing the ring, mm-hmm. which is really symbolic. Yeah. And I mean, like the ring symbolized friendship and love, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think when they show the hands almost touching, it's an, a literal like physical example of the fact that they're so close and yet what like we've talked about before, how mm-hmm. Buffy symbolizes or Buffy sees Angel almost as if he's like the in literal embodiment of a of a normal life. And so this mm-hmm. is once again watching that fade away. Um, the love and the friendship as well as the normal life and the connection and the lack of a loneliness that she feels when she's with Angel. But also like what was the cause of them pulling apart? Like Angel's past and Drusilla and his like darkness. Mm, that's really good. Man, hitting all the right notes today, guys. <laughs> well done, team. Well done. No, that's totally that's totally right, Tabs, because you know, I mean, we haven't watched the rest of the series yet, and maybe it is like that Drusilla does kill Angel or whatever, but everything mm-hmm. seems very metaphorical in this episode. And I think that 
no matter how much they try to connect and be together, Angel's past, his vampire past, is what constantly stops it and pulls them away. Or even um, that vampire side of him. Yeah. Like yep. reminding him all the time, not only of his past, but the fact that he like is his whole future mm-hmm. is the fact of his past, meaning like he's a vampire, like he can't live a normal life with her. Yeah, totally. And I think it's really interesting to note too that Buffy is in all and she's like wearing this like silvery, like gray, like very light colored um pajama set and she's got like a spotlight, a beam of light on her. And Angel is in the shadows. And so you notice as they walk towards each other, you know, for Angel, the closer he gets to Buffy, the more the light comes on to him but it's just like symbolic of the fact that he can never fully get out every time he tries to get to the light which you know in a lot of ways is his redemption his past pulls him back both of them just get punished for having any sort of happiness in the show and it just makes me so sad (laughs) yep i know anyway i know i'm not supposed to say that but like in the non-spoiler section But it's true. I think people are starting to pick up on it. So <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's just you. This would be the episode to start talking about that. Um, I, I, I mean, Angel's mentioned many times. I mean, even back in TED, he talks about how loneliness is one of the worst feelings in the world. He he talked about it in um, Out of Mind, Out of Sight to Giles. He's mentioned it several times. And I think that Angel – that's one of the first things that draws him to Buffy is the fact that they're both alike and they both are alone. And so I think that for the first time in his life, Angel is happy because he's not alone. Somebody fully Mm. accepts him for who he is. And then, yeah, Drusilla says, happy birthday, Buffy. And we're like, okay. Screw you, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Buffy jerks awake, confirming what we already knew, that she was having a dream slash nightmare. And then Angel's house. What in the world? What do we know? know? His apartment. Angel is shirtless again. Marty knocks in, you sly minks. <laughs> <laughs> What's my line? Part two. Part two? It part was, three? It was pretty much all of part one and part two. <laughs> he is shirtless. Yeah, for no reason. Literally yeah. no reason. I mean, there was a reason, but. Yeah. She's like, how can we convey that Angel was sleeping? Oh, shirtless. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be vulnerable too. Like she's supposed to go to his apartment feeling like scared and vulnerable. And I think it makes sense that he's also in a physical vulnerable state, especially since after they have this whole conversation where she's scared, they have like really like intimate, sweet moments. And so I think in this case, I understand him being shirtless. The other times there was no reason to. Did I enjoy it? Yes. But I don't think there was a purpose to it. I I think that they also wanted to show that they just were – both getting more intimate with each other and Mm -hmm. more comfortable with each other. Like, we've never really seen Buffy go to Angel's house this casually before. Like, we've seen her during What's My Lane Part 1. She goes and sleeps at Angel's house, but you can tell, like, it's a little foreign to her. Um, Whereas, like, this seems like it's natural. Like, go to Go to Angel's house. Like, that's her first reaction. So we're seeing that they're getting a lot closer and that they it's becoming more uh, comfortable. Yeah. No, totally. Um, I also wanted to point out, this is from uh, – Bex pointed this out, Bangel.insurgent. But Buffy is wearing the clasp of her cross necklace in the front. 
So the cross is in the back, the clasp is in the front. And the reason why is because the last time they made out with her wearing a cross necklace, it burned Angel in season one. Oh, what? Season seven. Mm-hmm. Dang. And the very next scene when she's talking to Will at the school, it's turned back around and the cross she is in the front. She probably moves Does it on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I mean, the costume designer was like, you know what? Let's move it to the back because we don't want her to burn Angel. But it's just a very intentional little thing, little detail to show how thoughtful and how much they care for each other. But also to show that Buffy went there with the intention of kissing him. <laughs> or at least with the idea that she knew they were going to be kissing. Yeah, exactly. But like, what a cool little detail, huh? But also, I just think it's very sweet just because, like, I view it kind of – I mean, maybe I just – I watch the show too much that so I look at things for symbolism where there's literally nothing. Um, so I could be a little taking this out of, like, left field. But I kind of view it as, like, as a girlfriend who really tries not to, like, kind of remind him of his, quote-unquote, demons or his past and doesn't want to hurt him. So she goes, like, in every situation that she can to, like, protect their relationship and, like, make it – a safe place and to not hurt him. Yeah, no, totally. And we saw that, you know, in the past several episodes where she just tries really hard to let him know that she sees all of him and sees him for who he is more for Mm -hmm. just what he is, you know? But also it makes sense to have the cross burn him and Angel just because – like the whole idea of the episode was just like Angel's past, Angel's a demon, your relationship is doomed, like this is going to be really hard. So – Showing that her cross necklace like is physically hurting him and hurting the relationship and they can never be physically close, symbolically and like emotionally close and even being together. Whereas in this one, they had like a real intimate, sweet soul connection and the cross wasn't there for that one. And that has to be a reason why. Hmm, or maybe it's just foreshadowing. Dun, dun, mm-hmm. dun. So Buffy is asking if... Angel's okay. And she seems really – like Buffy's really – not hysterical. I won't say hysterical, but she's like very upset. And we don't really normally see her like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Angel invites her inside and sadly puts on a shirt. I said, RIP, Tabby, (laughs) in my notes. But I think it's interesting the shirt that he wears is a white one. We normally don't see him wearing Mm -hmm. white. He normally wears black unless it's like the white wife beater. But this is just different. And I think, think one, they did it because – it's just gorgeous under the lights. The lights are very soft. And you see mm-hmm. um, like Angel's rumpled bed in the background and kind of foreshadowing the end of the episode as they're talking very intimately. The camera shots are all very close up. Um, but Buffy tells him that she dreamt that Drew was alive and that she killed him right in front of her. Angel reassures her that it was just a dream, that he's right there. He touches her so reassuringly. Like he plays with like the collar on her shirt and it's just – it's very intimate. Um, he tells her that not all of her dreams come true after Buffy reminds him of her dream of the master. And then he asks her what else she dreams about and she said, I dreamt that Giles and I – opened an office supply warehouse in Vegas <laughs> <laughs> of all the random things. I also noted like to the way that things were shot, Buffy's face is completely illuminated in this, but Angel's is half in the light and half in the shadows, which I think kind of goes to your thing tabs where, you know, his past is constantly there and mm-hmm. constantly like talking maybe even about his dual nature too. So Buffy's afraid Drusilla is alive since they never saw her body, which 
did the girls suddenly forget how I, vampires were? Oh my gosh. Like, I put that heck? in there too. I was like, girl, of course you're not going to see her body if she's dead. Isn't that like better that you don't I see like, her body? I like how Angel doesn't say, like, doesn't like correct her. <laughs> but also, I kind of like that they put that in there because in the audience view, we're like, girl, you're a vampire, so you know how that works. But also, she's so. Not hysterical, up. but worked up that she's not thinking straight because she's like, this is my boyfriend. Like, I'm so scared something's going to happen. So she's not thinking logically. Yeah. Um, Angel, even if she was not, we'd deal. Like, he doesn't try to correct her. He doesn't try to say, hey, you're being irrational or anything. Like, he just comforts her and it's But precious. I also noticed that, like, we we don't really see Angel like saying the word deal or like saying stuff like that but i i think that he's starting to understand buffy better and so like we see him kind of speaking to her how she talks um to like kind of calm her down and show her like hey like it's not a big deal like everything is still good like it's sweet to see him adjust to her yeah no totally and then Buffy, but what if we, and then Angel kisses her. And this is a kiss, man. This is a passionate kiss. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't just like, you know, I'm going to give you a, a sweet peck or we're even just going to make out. Like, this is Angel showing Buffy how much he means to her, but also him trying to comfort her and protect her all in one kiss. It's it's really beautiful. Um, And then we hear their theme song for the first time in full. And it's just beautiful. In full? In full, yeah. We've heard like, it before, though. We've heard it before, but it's only been slight hints of it. This is the mm. first time we hear, like, the full thing. Like It plays, like, four times in this episode. I wrote down in my notes that if this was titled something different, I'd say, like, Buffy and Angel's theme, but in different fonts. Because then you hear it in like a, a slower piano version at one point in this episode. You hear it in full. You hear it in little snippets. Like they play around with the sound of it a lot in this episode. And it fits the somber feel of the intimate moments that it's playing in too. Yeah. Well, and I think they're also trying to be like, hey, guess what? They have a theme song. Hey, guess what? They have a theme song. This is going to be important later. This is a theme song. Like I think if you were a casual viewer who'd never seen the show before – you wouldn't have known that they had a theme mm-hmm. until this episode, you know? <laughs> Buffy, I'm sorry. Were we talking? I put more kissing. They both try to break it off and keep moving closer and closer to the door, and it's just not working. Um, And it's interesting because the further they move away from the bed, the more they are both fully in the light, which I thought was really interesting. The more that they move towards the bed, the more they both were kind of in darkness. And this might be me totally reading into things, but it was, I'm like, the light is set up for a very specific reason. Um, So I just thought that was interesting. Um, Angel asks what Buffy wants for her birthday. She says, surprise me, you know, like, have you seen that meme with Leonardo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Or there's a meme of him like snapping at the TV and pointing. And it's like every time you see or you hear the episode title mentioned within the episode, and it's like, <gasps> surprise. Oh. Mm-hmm. She says, surprise me. And Angel says, okay, I will. And then she mentions that she likes seeing Angel first thing in the morning. Angel mentions that it's bedtime for him. And she says, well, then I like seeing you at bedtime. Um, She looks so uncomfortable after she says it. It's so funny to me because I'm like, you guys just spent like probably at least 30 minutes making out. And like, but then like someone mentioning bedtime is like a risque. Like, come on, you guys. (laughs) What are we? 17? (laughs) I mean, one of them is. 
One of them is forever, 17. Yeah, right. And then she says, uh, you know what I mean. And he says, I think so. What do you mean? And, and like, <laughs> I I was sitting there like, oh, you know. You know exactly what she means. And she says, I like seeing you. And the part at the end of the night where we say goodbye, it's getting harder. And he says, yeah, it is. And I noted that Angel seems a lot less reserved as if he's fully giving in to Buffy and his passion in this episode. Like we've seen Angel kind of like being the one to put the brakes on a -hmm. lot of the times in these past few episodes. But this one, he just seems a lot more vulnerable and just um, like he really wants to be fully with Buffy. And I also think that it's partially because he can tell that she's so uneasy that he like wants to make her feel comfortable and just like reassure her that it's something that he wants as well yeah no that's a good point and i think too like he's trying not to be pushy i think he he wants that's like the furthest thing from his mind i think he's trying to let her go at the pace that she feels the most comfortable um which is like really honorable of him you know i guess honorable is the right word but i should just say decent because like yeah the bare minimum So at school, Buffy's got her cross on the right way, and Willow can't believe Buffy said, I like seeing you at bedtime, sees it as very bold. Like, Willow is just like, her mind is blown. Can't believe how gutsy Buffy well, is. Well, they have that cute little callback to um, Welcome to the Hellmouth, where she's like, you told me to, like, seize the day, carpe diem. And then they have that whole, like, sweet speech. And then, like, Buffy talks about, she's like, oh, yeah, like, uh, at some point, it becomes inevitable when you like have to seize a day, you know, kind of like skirting around the topic. And then Willow for like a full on minute, she's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. And then she nudges and says, speaking of seizing the day, and then like points over to Oz and Oz is just like tuning his guitar, just all innocent. Oh, so cute. Oz, so funny. I love the scene between Oz and Willow. It is amazing. But real fast, I wanted to mention that Note the line that Buffy says to Willow. She says she isn't sure what she wants to do. Want isn't always the right thing to do. To act on want can be wrong, but to not act on want. What if I never feel this way again? Which is really important Mm -hmm. because at the end of the episode, Buffy realizes that to her it's worse to not act on want because she might lose Angel. And so like, it's just interesting to watch her thought process through the entirety of the episode. Um, and finally discover what she actually does want and whether that's worth the risk to her. But okay, this whole scene with Oz, I was just cracking up the entire time. It's just like, it's so cute because like, first of all, we're seeing Willow be bold, like going up to him, talking yeah. to him. But it's also just so cute because like Oz is matching her like awkwardness, but like sweetness and like even just the fact where he's like, Oh, you know, I was thinking of asking you out tomorrow. I'm actually really nervous about it. Like, they just have such naturally sweet chemistry. I just like, it's so, it's so like sweet and innocent and just, I love it. I feel like that's the perfect way to ask out Willow too, because she's never been like properly dating a guy ever. So I feel like it was the best way to do that with her because it wasn't like this whole huge ordeal because I think she would have like, not known how to react. So I think the fact that he was like, oh yeah, I, I'm going to ask you out tomorrow and just like makes it really lighthearted, made her feel comfortable to react in a very vulnerable, sweet way in return. So I just like, I'm just loving their 
interactions. Yeah. And then even the fact that she was like, oh, you know, if it helps, I'm going to say yes. And then immediately after she's like, he like asks her and she's like, oh, no. And he's like, well, I like that you keep me on my toes. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Oz because I think that he's the perfect match for Willow at this stage in her life simply because Willow is very insecure and unsure of herself, doesn't know who she is, who she wants to become, doesn't know her identity. And so Oz has a very effortless chill and coolness to him that is also very sensitive and kind of others. And so I think he he obviously is attracted to Willow and cares about her, but he is very like in this too, like we're watching him kind of let Willow set the pace as well. Like both Oz and Angel are kind of like going at the pace that the girls want. Like Oz takes the initiative and tells her he's going to ask her out. But ultimately, like he tries really hard not to pressure her or make her feel um, that she has to say yes or even that she has to invite him to the surprise party too. Like he was like, hey, like I don't want to crash the party. And she's like, no, no, you could be. And then the whole like my date with like the cute smile just like Mm -hmm. melts my heart every time. Oh, little tiny Allison Hannigan. I just – I adore her both her and Sarah Michelle Geller are like and I've seen them both in different things and they're like my two favorite actresses like the way they like execute their emotions and especially in this scene like the way she does it it's just the most precious thing I've ever seen it's so pure I also wanted to talk about like the way that each relationship set is shot I think is really like indicative of where the relationship is at. For instance, Buffy and Angel in the scene in Angel's bedroom, like they're very close. They're very intimate. Like all of the um, angles were very close to their faces. The beds in the background, it's a very romantic, soft light versus Willow and Oz, their relationship conversation or whatever is shown outside in the open as opposed to, you know, Xander and Cordelia, Angel and uh, Buffy. And I think this is symbolic of the fact that unlike everybody else, Willow and Oz can have their relationship out in the open. They can be public. And they're also like kind of new to the relationship. So them having their their first, I guess you'd call it DTR, determiner of the relationship, their first conversation about how they like each other out in the open kind of shows how they're not quite comfortable with each other. So they're wanting to have these kinds of conversations when there's more people around. Um, and then, you know, cut to the next shot, which is literally inside Cordelia's locker room. Xander's asking her, hey, like, Let's go to Buffy's surprise birthday party together. And I think like it's interesting the angle that it's shot at and and it's very closed off. We're inside like, you know, Cordelia's locker. And I think it's supposed to show how both Cordelia and maybe not necessarily Xander, but up until this point have wanted to keep the relationship very hidden and very um, secluded from everyone else. And I mean, I think it's also funny that it looks like you're in a closet and they've been making out in closets this entire time. Um, I just think it's really cleverly done, and I think it really showcases where each couple is at in their relationship through film. And it's just – I was like, bravo, guys. Like, I know exactly what you're going for. So speaking of Xander and Cordelia, Xander is looking like he kind of wants to make things official with Cordelia, and she is not having it. I will say I give major props to Xander for this. Yes. Because – We've kind of given him some crap with the fact that he's just kind of used Cordelia and her using him as well, just like using her 
as like a makeout buddy. But I like the fact that he has enough emotional maturity in this instance to be like, okay, obviously we're attracted to each other. Obviously there's chemistry here. Why don't we figure that out? Like, why don't we try dating? Why don't we try doing the whole thing? Like, I I think that the scene just really, really impressed me with Xander. And it showed that he did have, like, you know, some actual interest in her. And he wasn't afraid to, like, bring it up and talk about it. And, I mean, honestly, I don't think that, like, him wanting to just make out with Cordelia in a closet is necessarily bad. I think that she – since she was totally into it as well, I right. think it's fine. But I think, like – Kind of how Buffy was talking with Willow just the scene before about how like the natural progression of things is that you're eventually going to want to make things official. Mm. You're eventually going to want to like talk about this um, and or you're eventually going to want to move, you know, past just making out in a closet. And so mm. I think that this is just another example of that happening, you know? Yeah, I agree. And so Xander's like, hey, you know. We this this thing, despite our better judgment, which is kind of what Buffy just said, keeps happening. Maybe we should just admit that we're dating. Mm-hmm. And I think this moment was hard for Xander. And I, okay, so Xander says some pretty cringy and I think hurtful things in this episode. But I want to say that I think he was being incredibly vulnerable in this moment. I, I think that. When Cordelia shoots him down, I think that was really hard for him. And I think the rest of the episode is him trying to deflect from the pain of this moment. Mm, I agree. Because you see him immediately after this flip right into like making fun of Giles, making fun of like, it wasn't like really mean things, but you do see him really trying hard to deflect every single conversation off of him and just Mm. really cope. Yeah. And I think that like I was going I was like about halfway through the episode I was like, "Man, like Xander has been like doing really well the past few episodes and this one he's just kind of turning into a jerk." And then I was like, "Oh, he's hurting. Xander is hurting." And I mean, yeah. that's no excuse to be a jerk. Absolutely not. But I think that like we can look underneath all of this and say mm-hmm. there's someone that's like in pain, you know? I mean, we gave Buffy some like credit when she was going through stuff when she was bad that the first episode in season two so it's like i'm really trying to understand where xander's coming from and i think like this is when i'm able to give xander some like i guess not credit but just trying to some insight into him whereas in past episodes he's been like douchey but we haven't seen anything underlying of why he's doing it or if he's going through something. So I think like that's why it's been frustrating up until this point. But then it's like you see him go through stuff and you have more empathy for him. Yeah. And I think in past episodes, he's just insecure about Mm -hmm. the fact that Buffy chose someone else other than him. And so he – you know, we see that happen multiple times over multiple episodes. In this one, there's a very specific moment that we can pinpoint it and it makes it more relatable and understandable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in this episode, he rolls his eyes at Oz, puts down Cordelia, snaps at Angel, and uses humor at inappropriate times. Like, there's at least four different times that I clocked. And I was like, it's because of what happened with Cordelia, which I think is really telling. Cordelia says it's not a date until the guy spends money, which is hysterical. Xander's like, I'm willing to. He's like, I'll spend. And he's like, I just think it's whack. We have to hide from our friends. Cordelia, I mean, this is kind of harsh. She's like, I have a lot farther on the social ladder to fall. You know, for him, it would be climbing up the social ladder if he were to be seen with her versus on her end. 
Yeah. Um, and I think she that, has more to lose in her words. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, I want to be fair because I feel like we we do talk a lot about Xander's issues because, granted, there's a lot. But, like, if Xander or if a guy in this situation were to say that, like, I think that we would talk about it a lot. And so I think that it's only fair that we mention how messed up that is. Like, yeah, that's high school and people are going to be more aware of image and stuff. But how damaging is it to look at someone that you've been obviously attracted to and obviously like physical with and all this stuff and just be like, Oh, I'd be embarrassed to step out with you. Like that. She said ashamed. And I feel like that is just harsh. Just embarrassing. And like, I do love Cordelia, but like, she just, she's so much better than this. And the fact that she's doing this is just so disappointing. Like, no wonder why Xander acts out the rest of the episode. Like, that's really hurtful, you know? Yeah. And you, and obviously, I think we're starting to see Xander care a little bit for Cordelia. Um, and I think it's hard for him to watch all his friends be in relationships or happy or, or, you know, in love. And he's over there and he can't tell them even that he's hurting because he's not supposed to even let them know about this relationship. So it's frustrating. There actually was another scene right after this that was cut and it actually had harmony in it. But for time, they had to kind of cut it. And it, and this is what happens. Cordelia says, hello, I'm having like a totally random thought. Xander Harris, is it just me or does his shirt almost match his pants? Harmony, almost. Why do I care? <laughs> Cordelia, well, if you look at him a certain way, is he vaguely cute? Xander doing a spazzy dance for Willow's amusement. Harmony, oh, yeah, I'm hot for spaz boy. Are you tripping, Cordelia? Cordelia, you thought I was serious? Please, I was just testing you. Ha, I'm hot for spaz boy. Good one. And I think like that's kind of important because it shows that Cordelia does actually kind of think that Xander's attractive. And this is mm-hmm. her testing the waters with her social peers to see if they would be okay with her being with Xander. And when she's shot down, she drops it. All right, so Xander's hurt, runs into Giles in the hallway lounge area. They talk about Buffy's surprise birthday party. This is, I think, the second time someone's mentioned this. So, like, you know, at this point, they're like, there's a surprise party, guys. (laughs) Better be there. Giles sees Jenny and Buffy coming down the stairs, and Jenny's wearing all red, which I think is what you were referring to earlier, Leah. Um, And then Xander says something very crude that I will not repeat. And I was like, Jenny is my hero in this moment. She says, Xander, I wouldn't repeat that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, good for her. She, you know how Buffy kind of like is disgusted by it and walks away, but Jenny steps in as the adult, as the person in authority and puts Xander down in, not puts him down, but like kind of reins it in and is kind, but also firm as in that's inappropriate. Don't say that. Mm-hmm. Giles, ever aware of how Buffy is feeling, asks if she's all right and says she looks fatigued, which I was like, that is the nicest way of saying that someone looks tired. (laughs) Um, And then Buffy tells Giles about the dream. Giles wonders if her dream was prophetic, says, do you feel it was more of a a potent than if Drusilla is alive, then it could be a fairly cataclysmic state of affairs. And Xander's like, again, so many words. Couldn't you just say we'd be in trouble? (laughs) Giles (laughs) he's like go to to class class (laughs) so good like he just doesn't even entertain it like Giles is very much like 
it's so funny because even though he's not a teacher, he just gives such teacher vibes in this where he's just like, just go to class. Like, just leave me alone. Just like, because he doesn't want to say something that's going to be very hurtful to Xander. But he's also like, please shut up. Like, I think he just doesn't have the time for it. He's mm-hmm. like, we are talking literally world changing, earth shattering news. And you're over here like being all angry or uh, being all butt hurt about the fact that I'm using big words that you can't understand. Like, go to class. <laughs> hey, Xander, gone. Notice the economy of phrasing. Simple, direct, gone. I was like, okay, that was kind of funny. But seriously, he was starting to get on my nerves too. Um, Giles reassures her that it is probably nothing, Buffy. It's Angel, which automatically means Maxi wig. Although he smiles at her reassuringly, Giles does kind of look kind of concerned. And there was a scene that was cut out between him and Jenny that I really wish they hadn't cut out because it is so important and so telling. And I feel like it's one of the few moments in this episode where we genuinely like see Jenny's side of things and see her as like maybe not necessarily the villain. Um, Jenny says, I guess it makes sense. I mean, all of Buffy's senses are heightened. Why should her intuition be different? Giles, precisely. It's not unheard of for the Slayer to start having prophetic dreams and visions as she approaches adulthood. Jenny, adulthood? Buffy's 17 tomorrow, Giles. Don't rush her. Giles, I'm not the one rushing her. While I loathe to say it, the fact is the Slayer rarely lives into her mid-twenties. It follows Mm -hmm. that she'd exhibit signs of maturity early on. Her whole life cycle is accelerated. Jenny, still, you should be careful about treating her like a grown-up, like this thing with Angel. Have you even talked to her about it? Giles, I... I suppose I try not to pry. Jenny, maybe you should a little. The way she talks, it's clear she has intense feelings for him. Giles, well, yes, they're friends. Jenny, they're more than friends, and you know it. And Giles says, I'm not her father, Jenny. Jenny says, she looks up to you. She'll never actually say that, but she does. And I just think at her age, it's easy to get in over your head. She can make some bad choices here. Trust me on this one. Giles, I'll keep an eye on it. Right now, I'm worried enough trying to think of the right birthday present. Ugh, why didn't they put that in the show? Yeah. I feel like we, we barely hear like, or like that breaking of the fourth wall, whatever it is, about like the whole like father-daughter like connection between Giles and Buffy. It's it's left unsaid and everyone knows, but I feel like for it to be actually stated, it's like my heart just needs that just because like we just want Buffy to have that solidified father figure, but also to hear him being called out being like, hey, like you need to like be aware of what's actually happening rather than just like hyper focusing on like her training or what she needs to be doing, like actually focusing on what Buffy's going through and what her life actually is. She is dating angel and i feel like this would have been a good conversation to have especially when they're like about to like solidify their relationship at the end of this episode yeah and i i don't know where this scene was supposed to fall in the episode i know it's not here because it's hinted at that at this point jenny has been talked to by her uncle so it's kind of hard because you're you're trying to gauge like how much is jenny saying this Mm because she genuinely cares for buffy or because she's trying to cover her own butt, you know? Um, But at the same time, I do think there is like a genuine concern for Buffy in this. I think Jenny's trying to tiptoe around it because she doesn't want Buffy to get hurt knowing that Angel has this curse. Um, But yeah, I just think it was also just a very like 
refreshingly mature and adult conversation between Jenny and Giles saying what we all as the audience have been thinking watching this relationship unfold. All right. At Spike and Drusilla's place, Dalton is back and he looks nervous. I have your package. We hear Spike's voice telling him to put it on the table with the other gifts. I will say Juliet Lando. Oh my gosh, her acting in this scene yep. Yep, 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 blew yep. me away. Because here's the thing. She's always been good. Um, but this is the first episode we're seeing Drew fully being Drew. Full mm-hmm. power and everything. And so I love that they're showing that Drew has power and dominance and all this, but is still Drusilla, is still crazy, is still creepy, is still kind of twisted. She just perfectly meshed the two. And I love how the power dynamic between Drusilla and Spike has switched. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, like, this scene is so fascinating to me. I, like, one of my absolute favorite things of the earlier seasons, especially with Drew's character, is her little, like, mental freakouts. They're, like, my favorite thing in the entire world. Like, she'll have one the next episode. That one's, like, one of my second favorite, like, freakouts of hers. But the one where she's, like, these flowers, they're all wrong. And she, like, freaks out. Oh, I love it. She, like, rips it. And then he has to, like, calm her down. And then she, like, switches and then goes, like, oh, can I open a present? It's just, oh, so good. Oh, yeah. I have a mask that I bought. It says stress level Drusilla on it. And I just think of this scene every time and it makes me laugh. And I'm sure nobody knows when I, one day I'm going to pass, I'm going to pass a fellow Buffy fan and they're going to get it and we're just going to share a knowing look. But other than that, until then, everybody's like, who is Drusilla? (laughs) I had like, um, not flashbacks, but I just got like vibes of like, um, a child kind of having a tantrum tantrum and then spikes like like all right you can have a peak love but like before your party but then we have to go and do this it's like her being like oh can i open my presents and like having a tantrum tantrum about like the flowers not being correct um but yet he's the one who's in a wheelchair so it's just funny how they kind of like switch that narrative like i mean buffy does that literally all the time that's what makes this show so interesting is that it takes like tropes that you think would be set in their normal state and then completely flips it on its head, which makes it so interesting to watch. Well, not just that too. They take a character and they go, okay, we've established this is what the character does. How can we shake things up? And Mm -hmm. so we've seen Spike in more of the dominant position because Drusilla has been really sick, even though I think Drusilla has been calling the shots ultimately up until now. And now you have Drusilla in the position of power, but – at the same time, Spike's also still emotionally supporting her and calming her down. So, like, once again, like, kind of a healthy relationship. I know. <laughs> they really bounce each other out. One of them goes crazy, and the other one somehow just overcracks and is, like, supportive and, like, loveless. I know. Them. What in the world? <laughs> I don't understand. I will say, too, it's a little unnerving. Like, I kind of thought, oh, hey, like, one of the cool things about Drusilla is that she's just so creepy, even though she's very weak. And I was worried, like, once she became into power, that that would kind of be taken away. But she's more terrifying now. And I just didn't think that was possible. But she didn't lose her creepiness. Like, she doesn't feel like a new character. Right. It's still Drusilla, totally. 
Um, so Spike's in the wheelchair with severe burns on the right side of his face, wants to have a party or the party in Vienna. I've had it with this place. Nothing ever comes off like it's supposed to. Drusilla, my parties are always perfect. That's not what we want to hear. Spike wants to leave, says the Slayer. Doesn't even refer to her as Buffy, which I think is interesting. I noticed that he doesn't call her Buffy. He just calls her the Slayer. Because I think to Spike, the Slayer, Buffy, is just another one of the long line that he's already killed. I think she's merely an object to him. I don't think she's her own defined person, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, says the Slayer and Angel have cursed Sunnydale for them. Drusilla, shh, I've got good games for everyone. You'll see. And then she licks his burn. And I was like, okay. The room is lit with candles and a long table with packages on them. And she says, it reeks of death. This would be the best party ever. <laughs> Spike, why is that, Drusilla? Because it will be the last. And we have that shot from inside the package as Drusilla looks at the camera, like breaking the fourth wall. And I think it's so cool because Drusilla has these prophetic dreams all the time. And so for her to be looking at the audience, it's like she's foreshadowing what's going to come later on in the episode. Um, so then in the summer's kitchen, it's the morning of Buffy's birthday. Joyce reminds Buffy about their mall trip on Saturday for her birthday. And then Joyce asks if 17 feels different from 16. And Buffy's over there like, I woke up feeling more responsible, mature, and level-headed. Well, she's also trying to convince her that she should get her license, that she's all of a sudden, like, responsible. Um, and her mom's like, uh, no. But I'm like, okay, like, 17 is, like, a very reasonable age. Like, I got mine at 17, and I was, like, a whole year past all of my friends. Like, I can yeah. only imagine her being like, oh, my gosh, I'm saving the world all the time. Can I just have my freaking yeah. license? Can I just go for a drive, man? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, you also haven't burned down a gym or, you know, killed your mom's boyfriend. So, I mean, like, if I were Joyce, I'd be a little, like, gun shy about letting my daughter get her license as well, you know? Yeah, but, like, she's going to be doing whatever she's going to be doing either way. She could lie about it and just have her friends drive around. I guess that's true. I don't know. I think it's just funny how it's a very teenage thing to like, she's like, mom, you said when we I was 17, we could talk about it. And it's like the moment she wakes yeah. up and she's 17, mm -hmm. she's like, license, mom. And I was like, so <laughs> relatable. <laughs> so Joyce repeats the phrase, do you really think you're ready, Buffy, before dropping the plate that she was holding? And of course, Buffy's freaked out. I mean- I'd be too. That's scary. So then we have this scene in computer class where- Uncle Enyos shows up and we discover that Jenny is actually a gypsy of the same line that cursed Angel with his soul. Uncle Enyos says, the elder woman says the curse is weakening, his pain is lessening. Jenny lets it slip that there's a girl, says that Angel still suffers, but that he is making amends for his evil and saved her life. Um Uncle Enyos, vengeance demands that his pain be eternal as ours is. If this this girl gives him one minute of happiness, it is one minute too much. Here's the thing. I mean, I, I know that this is a show and it's a plot line and all that, but like, realistically, this man was a demon, right? Had no control. I mean, he did have control over his actions, but like, it was a demon. It wasn't actually Angel, right? Makes a terrible, ter like, does a terrible, terrible thing. Then you put his soul back in him, which gives him a conscience. And then he spends the next how like hundred plus years making amends, and they're like mm, he can't be happy for a second. It's like, 
Oh my gosh. Like, I get it. He killed someone. He killed a whole village. Awful, awful things. But, like, he also has spent over a century trying to make amends, like, not killing people. He's even saved uh, Jenny. Like, he's helping the Slayer now. And they're like, mm, can't be happy. But also, like, if you're going to create Superman, don't create Kryptonite. Like, <laughs> if you're going to, like, decide if Angel's, like, this worst off, if he's, if Angel's is as bad as you say he is, why make the curse so that he could possibly go back to being Angelus? Like, stupid. Yeah, it's like, did you want to punish Angelus or did you want to punish Angel? Yeah. All right, so let's talk about this loophole or supposed loophole in the curse. So I did a little bit of digging today because I was like, I wanted to know too. And I'm always curious about what other people think. So this is from Reddit. So not all of these thoughts are mine. Don't want to like take anyone's thoughts and ideas, but why is there the loophole of the one moment of happiness? So these are a couple of people's different, like different people's thoughts. One, because it's a curse. Just making Angelus human again is a gift, not a curse. I was like, oh. The point is about Angelus suffering, not keeping Angelus at bay. Like Uncle Enyos basically says that. He says, vengeance demands that his pain be eternal as ours is. He said, if this girl gives him one minute of happiness, this is one minute too much. So first of all, we have to operate under the assumption that the reason why they cursed Angel or Angelus is not because they were like, hey, we need to like save future people from having to like deal with being mass murdered by this horrible demon. It was, dude, he killed a girl in our tribe. We're going to now you know, seek vengeance on him for the rest of his life. It's completely about revenge, not necessarily about mm -hmm. taking the moral yeah. high ground. So yeah, it's about revenge. And if Angel's not suffering, he might as well be Angelus again. So in their mind, it's like, if Angel's not suffering, then let's make him Angelus because there's no point in him being human and not suffering. Otherwise, it's like we're actually giving him the blessing of having a soul, you know? Another person said, magic has consequences. They are responsible to make sure the spell continues on. Therefore, they are tied to him for forever, which I thought was an interesting way of, of putting it. They did this massive spell to give Angel a soul, which I'm assuming is not a small spell. And because of it, there's consequences, which the consequence might be that they are now doomed to follow Angel for the rest of eternity to make sure that they're they're tied to him to make sure that the spell continues on. Um, and then the, uh, another person said, Angel was never going to be able to lift the curse because part of the curse was that he now had the weight of a conscience. Buffy is his soulmate and their relationship is impossible and defies all laws. She is the literal only thing in his world that can cause him to lose his soul. So the odds of him meeting his soulmate, like the one person who could cause him to have happiness, it was like really, really rare. And he found her. And so like the one loophole <laughs> that they wrote yeah. in there. But it's also like you made him an immortal being tortured, right? It's like if you live forever on the earth, it's pretty likely that at least at one point in your life, you're going to experience some sort of like happiness. Like, you know, it may not be having sex with like the most person ever, but like it could be like, oh my gosh, like everyone said happy birthday to me or like, you know, like whatever your version of like true happiness is like, 
living that long on the earth, like, I feel like you're going to have at least one moment of your life where, like, wow, I'm really happy. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a difference between, like, really happy and, like, like the most pure, perfect moment of happiness. And for him, that happened to be Buffy. Right, because I think everyone sees it as, like, hey, Angel having sex with Buffy, that was the catalyst. And I don't know that it's necessarily that, just that, you know? Because we see, like, you know, Buffy accepts Angel for who he truly is, the fact that she, like, kisses him with his true face, like, the fact that he's not lonely anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much more to it than the fact that he simply But it was also, like, the the intimacy afterwards, too. Like, they, like, she fell asleep and they were, like, lying in bed together just as, like, two people who are, like, content and in love. And it was after that. And I, it felt like they had been lying there for a long time. So him sitting there being content, being happy, like cuddling, it was everything, all of it together that made like a pure happiness moment. It wasn't like, and obviously that'd be really awkward for them to film be like, oh, right when they're having sex, oh, he loses his soul. Like, okay, like clearly that's not what happened. So I think it's also just the fact that like they've been longing to be so close to each other for so long. So it wasn't just the fact that they're like, yeah, we had sex. I think it's also just the fact that he like finally felt so close to the woman he loved. Yeah. So the last thing that I thought was like really sad, it says, it's possible that it was meant to be like this so that Angel would kill whomever caused him to lose his soul, which would plunge him further into guilt once the gypsies inevitably cursed him again. The ultimate revenge would be Angel's suffering because of the suffering he's brought to his See, loved ones. That was like, makes sense. That they would like want to punish him by making him kill the only person that could cause him happiness. So I don't know. I thought those were really interesting points because I think like it's easy to be like, okay, that seems like a really stupid loophole. And maybe the writers actually like wrote it in because they're like, who we need to have some sort of catalyst and um to Buffy and Angel having sex. But at the same time, I think like there are there are actual ways you can look at it and be like, okay, this is actually like, really smart, you know. So anyway, so Uncle Enyo says, then prove it. Your time for watching is past. The girl and him ends now. Do what you must to take her from him. And Jenny says, I will see to it. Which this is a sticky situation. I don't envy Jenny, and I feel bad mm-hmm. for her because she's caught between her lineage. And the people that she is helping save the world with. Like, this is a tough situation. It's just a shame that she didn't immediately go to them and say, hey, guys, like, telling Buffy or Angel about this, like, moment of pure happiness loophole thing would have saved a lot of heartache. And I think that, like, judging by the deleted scene that I just read or like the the part from the script where Jenny knows that they're actually getting pretty close. It's surprising to me that Jenny didn't actually go to Buffy herself and say, hey, you know, I mean, I know, I guess it would mean exposing her past, but I don't know at this point, it just, it seems like too little too late, you know? So in the library, Buffy tells Giles about the plate shattering. Xander and Willow come in all giddy about Buffy's birthday. So cute. Mm -hmm. Giles promises that they can protect angels, says dreams aren't prophecies, reminds her that she dreamt that the master rose, but that she still stopped it from happening. This is the one time in the episode that Buffy doesn't wear white. She's actually wearing like this all like blackish, purplish um, dress, which I thought was really weird. I was like expecting to see her to wear white. Um, 
Giles decides to study Drusilla for patterns, and they agree to meet there at seven to map out a strategy. I was like, very cool, Giles, very cool. Buffy says, what am I supposed to do until then? Giles says, go to classes, do your homework, have supper. And Buffy says, right, be that Buffy. I noted that it's it's really interesting that she, like, is making the comparison between, like, how she kind of feels split. Like, that there's two of her, the one living the yeah. Slayer life and the one living, like, the normal teenager life. And so I just think it's really, like, interesting that she's like, oh, I have to be that Buffy. Like, she views them as two different people and is not one cohesive Buffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's important to note, especially after, like, everything with Kendra. Like, we're watching Buffy kind of slowly inch her way through the season, recognizing that she has got to fully accept her Slayer side along with her human side, but I don't think she's quite there yet. Which is interesting because she kind of, like, fully uh, accepts both Angel's vampire and human side, but she can't quite accept her Slayer and human side together in herself which is just really interesting i think it's a natural thing though like when you love somebody it's easier to accept them than it is to accept yourself and your own like hardships and demons like that's coming from personal experience i feel like when you really love somebody you just want them to feel accepted and loved because you yourself don't give yourself that grace you want Mm. someone to do that to you so it comes a lot more naturally Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's easier to look at someone else and not feel the tension, the push yeah. and pull versus with yourself. You're constantly having that. You're reminded of it all the time. Yeah. Like you see that through Angel. Like he's constantly reminded. I mean, that's partially because of the curse, but I think also he allows himself to stay down there because he's so scared of losing control. Um, but he's like constantly torn about it. Like he doesn't even want Buffy to see him in his vamp face where she's like affirming him all the time. She's like being vulnerable with him. Yeah, yeah. And we see him affirming her as well, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it's just, it. yeah. And that's why we need each other, you know? Yeah. Um. So Willow says, so much for our surprise party. I bought little hats and everything. Goes to tell Cordelia the party is off. Giles, this is that moment where he's like, no, you won't. We're having a party tonight. Buffy's surprise party will go ahead as we planned, except I won't be wearing a little but hat. I, I just love <laughs> this because, like, I think that we've seen time and time again – Giles kind of place slang and all that over everything and we're starting to see this shift in Giles where he's like no like Buffy Buffy's a teenage girl and she's obviously going through a lot she deserves to have a day celebrating her to have her friends and family gathering around her and being like we love you and we want to just have a good time with you and I love that they made Giles be the one who's like no like we're gonna celebrate Buffy because like we're seeing how much an effect Buffy is having on him in a positive way. But he also makes a good point. He's like, they're going to be in danger whether like, she celebrates her birthday or not, which is so true. It's like, I mean, obviously Buffy's going to have to go through a lot in the future as well, too. But it's like, she's only going to be 17 once. And if she's surrounded by other all of her friends and family, that might help her if something happens. Yeah. I think it's just precious seeing how much Giles actually recognizes that Buffy needs this. He doesn't say a whole lot, but you could tell he's watching constantly. <laughs> he's a watcher. But he he knows Buffy. And I mean, he, he could tell at the beginning of the episode that Buffy looked tired. Nobody else had picked up on that. She'd had a conversation with Willow and Angel. And I mean, Angel knows that she's tired, but Willow didn't pick up on it. And Willow normally sees that kind of stuff. So I think it's just telling that Giles – 
sees Buffy sometimes more than she even sees herself, you know? It's just, it's really sweet. I love it. So later that evening, Buffy's walking down the hallway and you have this like jump scare of Jenny and we're like, what the heck? When did Jenny become scary? She's so creepy in this scene. She's like, I'll drive you. And you're like, I know she's like way too close for comfort. <laughs> she's like, um, I think Giles ran home to grab a book or something. And Buffy's like trying to be like, oh, you know, Giles is like super cute or sexy or she's like trying to like, you know, build him up for her. And Jenny's like, uh-huh, yeah, let's go. And not herself, not mm-hmm. not wanting to take it or not wanting to bite it all. Um, and so as they're driving, like it's just the whole thing is creepy. She's like, "Where are we going to the bronze?" And Jenny's like, "You know, actually, I, I'm just not really sure." And so it's building it up as if like Jenny's gonna like kidnap Buffy or something. Yeah. Which I was like, "How were they thinking we were all gonna be like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely gonna happen?" So then they see some vampires loading something up into a truck, and I. Okay, relatable. As Buffy's getting out, so in this situation, Buffy is Leah getting out of the car, and I'm Jenny over there going, what is this? <laughs> what am I supposed to be? The vamp destroying you're, everything? You're the car tabs. No, I don't know. <laughs> you're Dalton stealing something. <laughs> no, I just is very relatable. Such an adult thing. She's like, oh, what is this? She's like, I didn't have this plan on the itinerary. Yeah. <laughs> so then Buffy sees Dalton. She's like, every time I see you, you're stealing something. <laughs> Which is hilarious because like we saw him stealing from the Dulac manuscripts, I think, or like the Dulac um, decoder from uh, Lie to Me. And she says, you should really speak with someone about this klepto issue. <laughs> so they fight. And it's so funny as they're fighting. Then it goes to the bronze where everyone's hiding. And Angel's like, where is she? And Buffy's like, shh, I think she's coming. As she's like out there taking on like three or four vamps all by herself. Which I was like, is Jenny just sitting in the car? Like, but what it's the also heck? like, are they stupid? Like, it's the bronze at night <laughs> and she's the slayer. If she's running late, it's like, hmm, what could she be doing? Also, how did they rent out the bronze? Like, I, I'm assuming on like a Friday night. And they're just like, yeah, right. Let's like, just rent it out to some random people. Like, is Giles secretly stacked or something? Either it's supposed to be the actual bronze and they somehow rented it out, or they're trying to play it off that it's not the bronze, but it's clearly the bronze set. So, like, which one is it? It's definitely the bronze. Yeah, it's definitely the bronze. And I think they're trying to do a fake out this entire time because you're waiting for Drusilla to just pop up out of nowhere and kill Angel. That's what you're waiting for because so far we're seeing everything else that's happened in the episode kind of coming true. And so um or in her dream. And so when we have everybody in the bronze for Buffy's surprise birthday party and Angel's there, we're thinking something's going to happen to him. Buffy's like fighting off all of the vampires outside the bronze, breaks off the wooden railing on the truck, stakes a vamp, and then is thrown into the bronze by another vamp. And this scene was very reminiscent of the harvest when she crashes into the mm-hmm. bronze or she throws that, that thing to break. What is that? Like glass behind the stage? What? I, I I'd be understand. so annoyed to be a repairman in Sunnydale. I'd be like, gosh, the bronze is messed up again. Who's even doing this? Whoever like runs the bronze has to be stacked with how much like repairs they have to make. But it's their only nightclub, so I feel like people are just like pouring in money because they're like, we want a nightclub, but there's no other one in here. (laughs) And the guy's like, you know what? This place is, you know, we can't afford to get an exterminator in there. They had to like, you know, oh the roaches was the fumigation party. (laughs) 
He's like, whatever, you know, people will do it for a free drink, making money off. Maybe this place. it's that time of year again where they have to do the the thingy, whatever you said. So a maybe there are party? maybe there are roaches in there, and no one's at the nightclub, so it happens to be Buffy's birthday. <laughs> That's a sucky birthday <laughs> <laughs> with all the roaches. Seriously. Oh. Anyway, all right, back to the episode. So Buffy crashes in, grabs a drumstick, dusts the vamp, much to Oz's surprise. <laughs> I, the way that he says this, like Willow's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. Like that, when he did that, I literally audibly laughed. But it's also funny to me that like Willow explains it, right? And she's like, oh, like if you need time to process. And he's like, no, actually that makes a lot of sense. Like, I feel like anyone who lives in Sunnydale, that would be a rational response. Like, wow, considering how many times I've probably seen vampires, that explains a lot. It feels like it could be a cop-out line, but like in the culture, or not culture, but like in the world of Buffy, especially in Sunnydale, everyone tries to suppress all the stuff that they see, even though they know what they're watching and seeing. So the fact that he's able to be like, you know what, you know, that makes sense, especially when everyone else is so nonchalant, he's able to like kind of break the the mold or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's very logical. No, I just, I, I die. And it's funny because like in the moment when it happens, everyone's just so used to it, even the viewer that you forget until they show Oz's face. Oh, he doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just the fact that like he sees Buffy dusting a vamp. I mean, you're like, okay, Oz is going to be around for a while. Um, And then Cornelia, bless her heart, didn't get the memo. (laughs) Jumps up, says, surprise, again. That's the second time we've heard that word in this episode. Oz, that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) His comedic timing in this episode is genius. His, like, just even-keeled mannerism is such a contrast and a welcome contrast Mm -hmm. to everybody else in the episode. It's just so funny. If his character was placed in other, like, supernatural shows, I think that he would be glossed over. But the fact that everyone else is so, like, dynamic, that his, like, even presence is so, like, oh, like, he stands out. Because everyone else is just really, like, bantering and, like, like I don't know how to explain it. Very performative in such a great way. That, like, having Oz like that, especially with his contrast to Willow, both of them are very sweet. It just, it works so well in the show. Yeah, it's like he plays the straight man in the episode, but he's mm-hmm. usually very sarcastic. And it's just funny. It takes you a minute to kind of realize what he actually said was a joke. Mm-hmm. And I love people like that. Um, so then Jenny comes in carrying the package Dalton was loading. Buffy opens it. It's an armored hand. And it chokes Buffy all on its own. And it takes, I know, right? It takes Angel and Giles to pull it off of her. And I think it's interesting because as soon as the hand goes to choke Buffy, Cordelia grabs Xander's arm instinctively mm. and Oz immediately puts Willow behind I know. him. I just love this man I so know. much. <laughs> I'm like in an episode with Angel and Oz and I'm still like gushing over Oz. Like mm. it's just Also, did you guys know Leah, did you notice everybody's outfits in this scene uh i i honestly think i was focusing on oz <laughs> fair fair I'll, I'll give it to you but like okay so oz and willow are both wearing purple they both were matching in their earlier scene but they're also wearing purple in this scene as well and then you have 
Xander and Cordelia. So Cordelia is wearing red. Xander is wearing like a black, a long sleeve shirt, but then you can see he's wearing a red shirt underneath mm. it. And it's really interesting how like the couples are kind of matching and that know, is interesting. Like, I wish I thought up. that. <laughs> it's okay. Leah, it's your one I job. Oh, I was so distracted. Oz <laughs> is too dreamy. <laughs> well, and then Willow goes, What was that? And he's like, It looked like an eye. <laughs> Every line that he says, I just kind of want to play the audio clip because there's no way I, we can even ever do Seriously. it justice. It's so funny. Then Xander tries to defuse the situation, says the Hellmouth's answer to what do you get the Slayer who has everything. Cordelia gives him a disgusted look. And I wrote, I feel for Xander because he's so deeply insecure and he's using the humor to cope with his awkwardness in the situation. Like, you know, Buffy was in near death situation and he's like, oh, awkward. Okay, got to diffuse the situation. And I, I kind of feel for him. Um, Angel then does the Giles monologuing thing, says that the arm belongs to a demon brought forth to rid the earth of the plague of humanity, to separate the righteous from the wicked, to burn the righteous down. They call him the judge. And Angel immediately knows that it's Drusilla who's done this. Um, and Giles recognizes the name and asks if the arm belongs to him and angel says not all of him and then giles continues on from where angel left off and says he couldn't be killed an army was sent against him most of them died but finally they were able to dismember him but not kill him um angel says all the pieces were scattered all over the earth all the pieces were now being brought back to drusilla to bring forth armageddon and cordelia's like is anyone gonna have cake i know <laughs> i i kind of fell for her she's like trying to help diffuse the situation yeah and i think she's like okay it's party time but also like it reminded me again of something you would do leah where everyone's like having this really serious conversation you're like all right well i'm gonna have cake <laughs> i still think that she just feels like out of place that she knows that she doesn't have a voice in the conversation she knows nothing about it so i think she's like well i might as well like make light of it or even just like say hey like it's still buffy's birthday like mm -hmm. let's let's cut mm -hmm. some cake and stuff yeah i think that a lot of times that line could be seen as insensitive, like she's just kind of brushing it off. But I think that Cordelia is trying to do kind of what Xander was doing and diffuse the yeah. situation, but she's doing it much more yeah, tactfully. Like I honestly feel like Cordelia is meaning well in her own way. Yeah. So Giles knows they need to get the arm out of Sunnydale. Jenny immediately jumps on that bandwagon. I really fell on her lap. She was like, you should go. And she came up with like really good like arguments for it too, which made sense. I was like, wow, like you really like thought of this really fast. Well, I mean, she probably was sitting there as like she's been trying to form a plan That's this true. entire time. And then as they're talking about this, she's like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. And I mean, like it makes sense. If anybody's going to go, it should be Angel. And when Buffy protests, Jenny's like, it's going to be a matter of months. What are you going to do? Take all this time off of school. Um, Angel agrees, says that he needs to get it to the most remote region possible. And Buffy's like, um, there's planes and again, sunlight. Like it mm -hmm. all just makes a lot of sense. Um, Angel's like, I have to leave tonight. <laughs> Buffy, it's my mm. birthday. Poor girl. And then you hear their theme song again. And just as they're having a tender moment, <laughs> Jenny pops her head in and says, I'll drive you to the it's docks. Like, Shut up, Jenny, man. Let them kiss. It's her birthday. Jenny's like, I'll drive. It's like, we don't care. You know what this gives me vibes of? Um, Never kill a boy in the first date when like her and Owen are looking at each other and the angel's like right in between them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> killing like the tension between them. 
Oh, it's just so funny. So then we cut to Drusilla and Spikes, and Drew is upset that Dalton lost her present. And I wrote, Drew is terrifying. She takes Dalton's glasses off, steps on them, then closes her eyes. And you think, okay, she's trying to like gather herself. And then she says, make a wish, and then holds her uber long, sharp fingers inches away from his eyes. And it makes me so uncomfortable. It's so interesting because it like, it really shows the difference between like Spike and Drusilla. How Drusilla is very like creepy and like loves to do things in a very like twisted way. Whereas Spike is just very like rash and is like, let's kill him. Like, it's just, I really love seeing their different dynamics. Well, but also like, who did she learn that from? Angel, who did that to her? He twilled with her rather than just killing her. So like, if she's going to torture somebody, she had forever of being tortured by Angel to learn a few things. Like, she's like, oh, I'm going to blow out the candles. Like, she'd rather gouge his eyes out than just stake him. Yeah. And I think we've seen her, like, with her dolls before, even, like, poking their eyes, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it's Putting terrifying. blindfold over them, too. Yeah. It's the whole twisted innocence in a whole different way. And I was going to mention this earlier. Like, the whole, like – fit or tantrum she has is very reminiscent of a young child. And it's it's interesting because we'd seen Drusilla very childlike in a completely different way in episodes past. And in this one, she's a much stronger child with a stronger will. Um, it's just, it's really fascinating. Well, I just think it's really interesting that she tends to go for the eyes in general um, because she is like called a seer and she like mm-hmm. sees things um, kind of like Buffy where she like has visions or she like observes things. I think she's a lot more observant than Spike is sometimes. So I think it's interesting that she goes for the eyes in very different ways. And oh, I, for some reason, I, I thought she did something like that with Angel when she tortured him last episode, but she didn't. Never mind. Yeah, that's a good point, Tabs. I hadn't thought of that before. It's also just like your eyes are so vulnerable, yeah. you know? So yeah, Spike stops her and says he's the only one with half a brain around here. Drew still like, grabs his glasses and like puts it back on his face and then just like pats his head and is like, all right, be quick. Um, And Dalton says, hey, I can get the package back and leaves. So then at the docks, Angel and Buffy hold hands. And okay, I'm just going to assume that Jenny is waiting in the car this entire time. (laughs) Could you imagine? She's like standing five feet from them. She's like, okay, Angel, here's your ticket. Anytime. And then they're like crying and like like having a vulnerable moment. Giving each other rigs. She's like, oh, we still have to go. I know, because I was like, where's Jenny? What the heck happened to her? And she's definitely waiting in the car. If I was Jenny, I'd be like, I'll wait in the car. (laughs) Yeah. Very kind of her to give them their last few moments. I never thought about that, because how does Buffy get back to the library? Jenny, because later on, Giles asks, says, where's Jenny? And she said she went home um, to get a change of clothes or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I picked that up now. I just never thought about that. Yeah. So Jenny was waiting in the car the entire time. (laughs) That, that makes this scene so much funnier. Could you imagine they come back and they're both soaking wet? She's like, hey, what happened? <laughs> she's like completely dry. And she's like, dang it, Angel's still here. <laughs> I know. She's like, so did the ship not board yet? <laughs> so this scene is interesting. Obviously, you have the last few moments between Buffy and Angel before he's supposed to go. Um, Buffy's just beside herself and um, says he'll be back. And Buffy asks him how long. She says, you don't even know how long it's going to take or if we'll even. And 
Angel's like, what? And she's like worried that one of them's going to be hurt or killed is the implication. Angel gives her the clawed off ring and says, my people, before I was changed, they gave this as a sign of devotion. Hands represent friendship. Crown represents loyalty and the heart. Well, you know. Wear it with the heart pointed towards you. It means you belong to somebody, which this is interesting because we have had no indication that Angel is Irish up until this very moment. Um, but it's interesting that we're starting to kind of see like little glimpses of his past, you know, because mm. up until now, like it's been a, a mystery other than what Giles has read. And he like he already has one on and he's like, oh, like wear it with the heart facing in like this. Yeah. And he already has it. It's so sweet because, like, up until now, like, he's, like, trying to tell her how much she means to him, but, it's, like, mm-hmm. he can't quite get the words out. And so she knows how much it means or how much she means to him just even without him saying it. So apparently this scene caused a huge boost in Clodoff Ring sales after it aired. <laughs> I believe it. Shocking. All the right. girls are like, can you go get me this ring? I knew what that was, like, back in my elementary days. I wonder if that had to do with, like – that's such a random thing to like be like really popular, but it was like such a thing when I was like really little. Yeah. I don't know. It could be because of Buffy. That's just so funny. So Buffy, I don't want to do this. Angel, me either. Buffy, so don't go. They kiss. Their song plays again. I wrote, they kiss desperately and quite loudly. <laughs> they have loud smoochies. This and bad eggs. Yeah. I think part of it is because they're kind of like crying too, but- So I wrote, we're watching them have to choose the greater good and their calling over each other. Up until now, they've been one and the same. And I think that's just really hard for Buffy having to make that decision and watch Angel have to make that decision. And I think both of them know it's the right thing to do, but at the same time, it's the last thing they want to do. Angel is about to say that he loves Buffy when they're attacked by vamps. Buffy and Angel are distracted by fighting and Dalton grabs the box uh, inevitably Buffy gets thrown over the pier into the water and Angel has the box at that moment and he makes the decision to leave the box and to go jump into the water and get Buffy, causing Dalton mm-hmm. and Drusilla and Spike to get the box. Okay, what is the strength of a slayer? Because sometimes like Buffy will be like majorly gashed against the head and like thrown across like and she'll just get up and be chill and then like they toss her over like into water and she's like knocked out I'm like what is happening i don't understand was she knocked out I, like, he, I he jumps in and her body's like limp in the water she wasn't knocked out yeah if you go back she's literally like lying on top of the water not moving oh i didn't it's like notice. a split well, second just, okay i just thought it was that he just like jumped into the water to help her. See, it could very well have been maybe like the vamp stunned her before she could got be. thrown into the water too. But I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Like, I'm not going to like bash Angel for trying to like save his girlfriend because like, bless you, Angel. Yeah. But there was a part of me that was kind of like, did he make the right decision? You mm-hmm. know, like who's to say Buffy couldn't have just swum? She was fine. He ultimately allowed them to get that box and it brought the judge forth. Yeah, but you know? it's also like he didn't know the severity of it. All he knows is that like Buffy's incredibly strong and powerful. So the fact that she was thrown into the water can't be concerning because it's like usually she wouldn't let this happen. Mm. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's I, I was just sitting there. I was like, hmm. Like it. It seemed slightly melodramatic that he was like, Buffy. As he like jumps into the <laughs> Which water after. We, we love melodramatic like bangle moments, but I just was like, I feel like you should have gone for the arm. I feel like Buffy would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. He at least should have like Jenny could have helped out. She's over there like, <laughs> darn she's it. The wish car. there was something I could do. She hears screams out and she's like, ah, they're they're fine. They're getting their emotions out. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I wish there was like an alternate like point of view from Jenny and she's like, what is this? <laughs> In the car as the vamps show up yet again. Um, Before we move on to the library scene, I had a question for you guys. So Angel leaves the box and goes to rescue Buffy, which ultimately causes Drusilla and Spike and Dalton to assemble the judge. Do you guys think, like judging based upon what we've seen in the episodes leading up to this one, that Buffy and Angel's love for each other distracts them from their calling? Um, I I would say no, because I think that if Angel had never even met Buffy, he would have never really had a purpose for his life. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, his whole purpose now is Buffy, but I'm saying that Buffy, I feel like, kind of ignited a fire under him to help people. We even see that in the first season where he's very much like, oh, I'll give you some information and then that's on you. But now he's very, like, hands-on, wants to help people, and I think that Buffy kind of ignited that in him. Um, But also, like... We've seen in so many episodes that Buffy is stronger with people around mm. her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that excludes Angel and their love for each other. I think that sometimes, yeah, it can make them make rash decisions or maybe not think super logically. But I also feel like Buffy is primarily going off of gut instinct most of the time. And so every now and then that's going to lead her the wrong way. But for the most part, I've seen their relationship help each other rather than hurt each other. I completely agree. I think it's hard for me to say a ton because I know what happens in the future. So I'm going to save a lot of that for the spoiler. Fair enough. <laughs> but Leah pretty much said what I was going to say in a non-spoiler sure. way. But I have more to say about stuff in the yeah. future. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, we see in Bad Eggs, like they're making out and Buffy has no idea that there's vampires like sitting there watching them. Um, and I think there's it's been hinted at throughout like – a couple episodes that they do kind of distract each other to a certain extent, um, which I guess is just normal. That's natural, yeah, like though. it's no- natural, mm-hmm. normal. But it'll be interesting to watch in the future and kind of go, okay, um, like we do know that they encourage each other and build each other up, but do they maybe have a blind spot towards each other? Whereas, like in the heat of the moment when they aren't actually thinking about it, like Angel, like made that split second decision to go jump in after Buffy like it's quite possible that maybe he wasn't thinking fully at the moment he was just like gotta save Buffy you know um I don't know it's just something to think about in the future and like something I never really actually thought about until this rewatch and I was like oh Angel just like full-on left that box and just jumped in after Buffy I will say though like yes I do think that um Angel is motivated by love in that scene But we've also seen Buffy sacrifice so many things to save the people that she loves. Like, Mm -hmm. we've seen Angel risk it and save Jenny's life before and Giles. Like, yes, I think that sometimes they make stupid decisions to save each other. But I think that goes for the entire, like, friend Mm -hmm. group. 
Like, they all have sacrificed, like, big moments to save each other. Yeah, those are good thoughts. And I'm I'm really excited to keep talking about that in the future. But anyway, that'll be spoilers. So in the library, I wrote, where is Jenny? Wouldn't she have gone with them and stayed? But then later on, Giles asks, where is Jenny? <laughs> and then we find out that she drove Angel home to get him some dry clothes. Willow feels bad for Buffy. Xander, what kind of future would Buffy have really had with him? She's got two jobs, waitress by day, slayer by night. Is his angels always in front of the TV with a big blood belly dreaming of the glory days when Buffy thought this creature of the night routine was a turn on? <laughs> so, okay. Jeez. Yes. Annoying. He thinks about this too much. But yeah, clearly. But at the same time, too, I think this is, again, obviously Xander still has like lingering feelings for Buffy, but I... I got the feeling that this moment was more him just being hung up on Cordelia. And so it was like, I'm just going to snap at Angel because he's the, the closest target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And the one he likes the least yeah. at the moment, yeah, at least. Right, exactly. So Willis says he's thought too much about it. Xander says there's more, something about a private jet and a steak. And, you know, Buffy's so moved she cries, which is hilarious because we just saw Buffy cry. And um, it's very shallow his like stake contrast to, you know, the display of affection we saw with Angel. Buffy comes in, says that Drew ambushed them, got the box. She changed and is wearing a white shirt and the giraffe pants. I've been that. waiting for these. Ah. I've been talking about it in the spoiler section for like forever because we see them in Reptile Boy and she's for some reason super enticing to these men. <laughs> And this is another episode. This is when she like has sex and like that's the pants that gets guys okay. hot. I'm so confused. First of all, I really Giraffe. think you guys, you guys give way too much hate to these pants. I would rock these pants. I think they're so cute. I love the pattern. I literally, when they were in the sewer, I was like watching her pants and I was like, I want them. I'd wear those. Like, what? I think you guys hate them too much. I like them. They're cool. They're I, I'm not saying that I hate them. They're just a, a choice. They're an interesting choice. And I, Buffy Poles specifically asked us to mention how awkward it would be if you had sex and then you woke up the next morning and you're scrambling around for your draft pants <laughs> to put on for the next day because she just thinks that's a hilarious imagery. And I, I have to say, like, it is kind of funny, like giraffe pants of all things. I just wish that they were like um, like the snake scale pants. Mm. I feel like that'd be so cute. Like pretty much any – oh, actually, except for zebra. Zebra's really tacky. I agree. I don't like zebra print stuff. So I feel like that would have been worse. I'm trying to think of like other stuff, other prints that I like could be worse. I feel like <laughs> giraffe is not my favorite. It's kind of an odd choice, but I think there could be worse choices for sure. Yeah. I think it looks good. I think you guys are just haters. I mean, okay, so she's had some pretty cute outfits this episode. The outfit that she puts on right now, it just is – it's okay. Like, it's not amazing. It's just as interesting from a a an episode standpoint. They've all been great. Mm-hmm. Even, like, that cute, like, white and black um, dress that she wore earlier and stuff. Like, they've all just been really great. And then she puts on the giraffe pants. <laughs> But you know what? Angel doesn't look at the draft pants. He looks at her heart. So that's all that matters. Apparently. apparently. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, okay. 
So Giles says that the judge's touch can literally burn the humanity out of you. A true creature of evil can survive the process no human ever has. Xander, what's the problem? We send Cordy to fight this guy and we go for pizza. It's just like, again, he's angry at Cordelia. And I just, I got to say, everyone just ignores him, which I think is the best way to deflect what Xander's been saying because he feeds and thrives off of attention. So if you just ignore him, eventually he'll just stop and go away. Maybe. Buffy asks if he can be stopped. Giles, no weapon forged can kill him. Not very encouraging if we could only stop them from assembling him. So they decide to do a round robin since it's going to be a late night. And Giles like, wait, what's that? <laughs> I didn't know there's a term for it, but that's definitely something that... Have you done that? People have, have used. you done it? Well, even as, as I was saying that, I was like, I feel like I have, but then I don't think so. I was too scared of like any like confrontation or getting in trouble when I was younger. So I don't think I did, but I think it did some form of that, sure. either like with friends or like... I don't think it was with mom and dad. I think I would have been too scared. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I ever did. I, did you, Leah? I, I actually don't know. I feel I like think I, you have. <laughs> no, I was I was usually pretty honest about like where I was going and what I was doing. Like I was very much like, if you don't like it, I'm still going to be honest. So I would just be like, oh, I'm going to go here. And then like I could tell when people weren't happy where with where I was going. But I was very much like, well, I'm do that's true. Else. Like I, I was gonna say, I was never really a deceitful kid. Like I was very much like, yeah, I'm gonna be honest, even if it gets me in trouble. Yeah. No, that I was thinking, I was like, if any of us had done it, it would be Yulia. And then I was like, no, you're the kind of person that would just be like, hey, I'm going here. If you don't like it, then that's Life's too bad. <laughs> Life's still going. Like, I'll find a Suck way it up, it. mom. Yep. <laughs> that's funny. I think part of it too is like none of us really dated a lot in high school. I mean. I didn't. Okay, maybe you guys did. <laughs> I was out of the house by the time you guys were in high school. For that one. Well, okay, I didn't really date in high school. I was like a huge like band geek and nerd. And so I never really had a reason to do that. I'd much rather be in bed anyway. So anywho, okay, since no one's going to spill their deep, dark secrets, go ahead, Leah. <laughs> I, I caught the, the moment where he was, um, where Xander got up and called his mom and he was like, hey, mom. And then he goes, it's Xander. I, I know, that's so I was sad. Like, first of all, it was funny, but he was also like, does Xander have like siblings or is the mom just extremely like neglectful? Mm-hmm. Like what what was that even hinting at? Yeah. I mean, we have only heard like literally sentences about his parents and every single thing just sounds awful. So 2 a.m., Willow tries to talk to Xander about how cool Oz was. Xander, gee, I'm over it. Willow, you're just jealous because you didn't have a date for the party, Xander. He looks at her and he does he does give her a smile like, yeah, you know, you're I'm kind of being a butt and says, no, I sure didn't. And I thought that it's like interesting that Xander really softens around Willow. And also Willow is so good at like seeing, like she's very insightful on other people's emotions. I think not so much on her own, but when it comes to other people, like she knows exactly how her friends are feeling and she can kind of cut through it. Yeah. Um, Angel's doing research with the gang. Has this ever happened before? I feel like this is the first time. I don't know. I don't think so. Not that I can remember. No, we actually a uh, prophecy girl, right? He was helping Giles. No, he showed up and gave information. We just didn't see it. Yeah. 
Yeah. If they did, then like we just didn't see it. She could have walked in after they did some research. No, because we get the she hadn't seen Angel from um the episode Angel. She doesn't see him again until Prophecy Girl, because remember he's trying to avoid her. No, I know. I I'm saying like in Prophecy Girl, they could have done ah. some research when she wasn't in the room. But we just didn't see it. I think this is the first time though that like everybody is there doing research. I mean, Jenny's there, Angel's mm-hmm. there. It's literally like everyone except for Oz, I guess. And then we have this sweet moment where Buffy falls asleep in the office and Giles tells Angel to be like really quiet and then they both like look over and smile at her. Mm. So sweet. It's like the two men in her life. I know. So sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then this dream sequence, you guys know what I'm going to say? I don't know. <laughs> Keep going. Oh, well, Buffy's wearing like a silk nightgown that's like almost identical, if not the same nightgown dress that Drew wore. Um, I think it was in What's My Line Part 2. She's lying on the bed with Spike and she's wearing like a um, silky mm. nightgown dress. And it's like, I think it's almost exactly the same, if not the exact yeah, same dress. Yeah, it's not a nightgown, but it is a dress. Yeah. And it's, that's interesting. I did not catch that. Good eye tabs. Oh, I thought you for no. sure. I, like I actually caught something different, but that's, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Look at me. Yeah, Tabs, good job. <laughs> the correlations between her and Drew, because you mentioned that, and so I thought for sure that's what you were thinking at the beginning of the episode. Dang. I mean, I was mostly thinking that the obvious is like it's symbolizing, you know, her purity, her virginity, all of that stuff. Yeah, so she's walking through Drew's party, dressed in a white silk dress, sees Jenny, goes up to a box, which I think it's interesting that she sees Jenny and then like forgets about it later. Like all she remembers is, oh my Mm -hmm. goodness, Drew is alive. And it makes sense. Like if you see something that like groundbreaking. But also that Drew's putting a knife up to like her boyfriend's throat. I'd probably remember that rather than Ray Jenny. Exactly. Or an episode. Exactly. I'd be like, okay, this this requires immediate attention right now, you know? Um and it's very similar to when Buffy held Drew hostage in Lie to Me, which I wrote, you almost wonder if Buffy feels guilty for not killing Drew when she had the chance. Like maybe Angel is distracting her from her calling. I wrote that down. He might be distracting her, but either way, I wonder if Buffy like subconsciously is feeling guilty that like she didn't actually take care of Drew at the time when she had the chance. I also noted that Angel is standing really close to a beam of light from the roof when he's up on the balcony with Drew. And I wrote, in this episode, he's so close to the light, but never quite in it, except for the few brief moments when he's kissing Buffy and happy. That's the only time you see him in like a lot of light. Um, And I think that's like supposed to be significant, you know? Buffy wakes up yelling for Angel. He hugs her. And then the camera fades out with a close-up of Buffy's face. And then it fades into a close-up of Drew's face. Yep. I noticed that too. I was like, okay. They're like, correlation. Like, we're going to just shove it yeah. in your face. And then did you notice what Drew is wearing? She's red. wearing a red silk dress that mm-hmm. looks very similar to what Buffy – I mean, it's slightly different. But it's it's supposed to be like a very clear contrast between um, the two of them. And then we see her party. Drew is hilarious. She's all like excited. She's like soaking up all the attention in this episode, especially right here. It's just fun seeing Drusilla with full strength. It's it's really, it's interesting and it gives her more to do. I'm just really enjoying it. It's definitely a different dynamic than what we've seen before. Yeah. Um, There are a bunch of vamps around as she dances her way through the party. They have the last box and they put it all together to reveal the blue smurf known as the judge. Who is the same actor as um, the assistant vamp to the master in scene one. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah, Brian Thompson. Yeah, they did a good job of like making him look different though. I noted that Spike looks really shocked once he sees the judge, like almost like he didn't expect them to actually accomplish it. And I think you could one could even argue that Drusilla accomplishes more in this one episode of being the supervillain than Spike did in the four episodes that he was in previously. <laughs> I think that one thing to be noted is that as much as Spike is very spontaneous and like loves to have fun and everything, we've noted that up until this point, everything that Spike has pretty much done has been for Drew. Mm. Like that's been his goal the whole time. And so every time, you know, Buffy's gotten in the way or whatever, he's gotten more and more frustrated because he's trying to heal or kind of fully restore the woman he loves. And so I feel like that has ultimately gotten in the way of like any actual plan he's mm. had is like his love for Drew and his like goal to heal her. That's a good point, Leah. Yeah, and I I did note that like Spike seems kind of defeated in this episode. Like he's just kind of like, eh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, like we're just gonna leave this place. Like he's kind of not humoring Drew in a in a mean way, but he's like letting her have her fun because he cares for her and loves her and lets her have her party. But he's just kind of very like the the spirit is out of him. Like you know how he's very dramatic and stuff. He just he kind of seems lifeless. Well, he also has no control in his life at yeah. this point. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um. So the judge looks weak, points to Drew and Spike. Spike gets props for trying to step in and defend Drew while in a wheelchair. I will give him that. Again, healthy couple award. <laughs> the judge, you two stink of humanity. You share affection and jealousy, which is interesting because this is not what we've been told about vampires by Giles, but it is something that I think mm -hmm. both Spike and Drusilla have clearly shown in their relationship with each other up until this point which makes them really interesting. But also I think it's really odd because he goes, you guys stick of humanity, blah, 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 blah. And then um, Spike has his whole like, well, yeah. But then he like moves on to um, whatever's name, Darren. And he's like, this one Dalton. stinks of feeling. Yeah. He really. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? And then kills Dalton. And you're like, of all the people he reads and that's what makes him like, like stinky of humanity i'm confused i think what it is is not so much that he reads but i think it's that he has a love for the world and a love for the life oh, objects from the world so he loves to read he loves knowledge he loves all of that but all of that comes ultimately from the world and i think it's the same thing with drusilla and spike where they have a love for each other therefore they have an earthly tie to the world mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The judge sees Dalton. Dalton looks thrilled until he realizes that he's been chosen. <laughs> <laughs> and RIP Dalton. The judge is weak, so he needs full contact to burn someone. And Drusilla, do it again. Do it again. Oh, I just, I love it. <laughs> when she goes all psycho, it's like my favorite thing. Juliet Lando does an amazing job of just playing Drusilla with like this childlikeness in everything she does. Mm -hmm. So that do it again, do it again is very much reminiscent of a little kid who's like so excited about something. But there's also like this twistedness about her too, which makes her very fascinating to watch. 
So back in the library, Buffy knows where Spike and Drew are. Giles warns that she needs a plan. Buffy says that she has plans to do recon with Angel to see how many pieces they have assembled for the judge. And the rest of them will check any places where packages come in to intercept them. And I love how Giles just takes the solemn stride. He's like, okay, yep, you have a plan and moves on. I noted that Xander looks incredibly exhausted and looks like he just does not want to go check all the places that have packages, <laughs> which, I mean, I can't really blame him. I wouldn't This either, is before yeah. internet. It's not like you can just call them. You have to actually physically go there. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So in the uh, factory, vamps are getting punch blood out of a punch bowl, which I thought was a funny touch. Um, Buffy says that she saw this in her dream. Then they see the judge and the judge senses them because clearly they're full of humanity. Um, and the vamps surround them like uber fast. I was like really surprised. Drew, it's delicious. I only dreamed you'd come. Angel, leave her alone. Spike, yeah, that will work. Now say pretty, please. <laughs> What's funny about that, though, is that Spike reacted in a very similar way when he thought Drusilla was being like under attack he wasn't as like hey but he was obviously going to step in for mm. drusilla and so the fact that he's like getting on angel for something that he himself did is so funny well and i think that also proves the judge's point that the drusilla and spike reek of humanity i mean the judge was going towards them to burn them up but Spike reminds them, hey, we're the ones that brought you into this world. That's why the judge stopped. So I think there's an interesting comparison that you just hit on, Leah, between Buffy and Angel and Drusilla and Spike. Well, I was going to say, like, I think that, like, Spike and Drew are even more so distracted by their love than Angel and Buffy are. Because here's the thing. Angel and Buffy, they're always obviously going to be detracted because of their love for each other. That's a natural thing. But without, uh, without saying too much, <laughs> I think that they're always going to choose what the better good is over their relationship because that's what moral characters do and have to do. Whereas Spike and Drusilla, they're just going to choose their love for each other. Like, it doesn't matter. They're like, well, this is what makes sense. At least from what we've seen, that's what we're guessing at this point. That's what they're going to do. Who knows in the future? <laughs> Who knows? Not me. But that was a good point, Tabs. The judge, the girl, Drew, chilling, isn't it? She's so full of good intention. And I feel like that line, for some reason, Drew sounded the most normal that I've ever heard her. And it was really weird to hear her kind of like talk in a normal voice or like appear as normal as, you know, Drusilla is going to be. I don't know. It was just really weird. Angel puts himself in front of the judge and begs him to take him instead. Spike raises his hand. Uh, you're not clear on the concept, pal. There is no instead. Just first and second. <laughs> Spike is loving every minute. This is the, like the liveliest we've seen Spike all episode. I think it's because like, I think they have a really rich history. So he's like reveling in the fact that he's like probably going to die or thinking he's going to die. So he's like making all the jokes he can at his expense. Right. And I think Spike is also kind of like, they'll probably get away again. Who cares at this point? <laughs> <laughs> he's just so done with his life. He's like burnt like, to a crisp. go back to Vienna. Move. Like, I just am done here. <laughs> Which, okay, like, realistically, if vampires get burned up, why, are they, still why there? are they in Sunnydale, like, in Southern California? Like, go to Alaska where it's dark, you know, half of the year, something like that. Drusilla, and if you go first, you don't get to watch the Slayer die, which 
I think Drusilla is completely taking a vindictive pleasure in this. And mm-hmm. I mean, we now know her history with Angel. I think there is a sense of like, you get to watch your loved one die just like I had to watch my loved ones die. The judge goes to touch Buffy. Angel frantically looks for a way to rescue them and then sees this chain attached to like a bunch of screens. This was like the most convenient out ever. Buffy goes to kick the judge and Angel's like, no, don't touch him. And you could tell Buffy kind of gets a jolt from um, their contact. Angel pulls the chain, causing all the monitors to crash onto or near the judge. Like it's unclear if it actually hit him, creating a huge hole that conveniently leads to the sewers. <laughs> oh, I know. How unstable was this ground? The like... It was able to be shattered like a giant hole just by, like, TVs. Like, I'd be concerned. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, we should probably go somewhere else. Yeah, legitimately, I think this is the weakest part of the episode. But you know what? It works. They get away. We'll 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 run with it just like they do. Oh, wait. I totally forgot to mention this. Okay, in the warehouse when they're talking um, and they're, like, like, right before they escape, Drew says, this is delicious. I dreamed you'd come. Oh. And so I wrote that down. I'd never picked that up before. And I was like, there's so many subtleties or really obvious like correlations be- between Drew and Buffy in this episode. But like, I mean, unless I completely heard it wrong. No, which I don't no, think she actually happened. did say that. So like either she had a prophetic dream where Buffy came just like how she like Buffy had a prophetic dream about Drew or it's just like a play on words where she's like, oh, I dream I dreamed you to come. But I was just like, man, like. This is one of the my favorite things about doing the podcast is like you rewatch things and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much intelligence that's put into this that especially between different characters that are supposed to show the inner drive between like either Buffy or other main characters in the episodes um, just really drives home like all the details in this show. Man tabs, you're the MVP of this episode. You're just catching all sorts of stuff. <laughs> no, but that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really interesting comparison because what's the thing that Buffy says when she first walks into the room? I saw this in my dream. And then Drusilla says, I mm-hmm. dreamed you'd come. So both of them are having dreams, visions that lead them to this exact moment. And yeah, it's it's really interesting. I'm excited to see where they go with it. Mm-hmm. All right. So they escape. Drew sends her minions after them, Buffy and Angel are able to outsmart them, take the sewers to the cemetery where it's raining, which I think this is kind of clever because normally we see Buffy chasing the vampires and then they're normally the ones that come out of the sewers into the cemetery. And then, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, So Angel's house, Buffy is cold. Angel opens a closet, enhance her clothes, tells her to get under the covers just to get warm. But also it's raining. Like, isn't she going to have to leave while it's raining anyway? So like, I don't know. I don't really know what his like full on plan was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think he had one. No, I don't. I don't think he had a plan at all. I I think it's convenient too that like they did the round robin and they specifically showed that so that Buffy already had an out. She could hang out with Angel she, all yeah, she wanted. She had an alibi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so this is just beautifully shot. You have the red bed with the reddish white glow, and then you have like the rain coming down and the glass reflected on the wall behind the bed. It's very intimate. Um, Angel turns his back so Buffy can change. And I just want to say MVP because 
um, when Xander tried to do that back. That's what I thought about too. Mm-hmm. And the harvest. Was it the harvest or never kill a boy on the first date? Because I think she was getting. Oh, it was never kill a yeah. boy. Yeah. Because she wore the the gold yeah. dress. That thing is like drilled yeah. in my brain. Which I mean, granted, Angel probably doesn't have any mirrors in his house because he can't see out of them. But, you know. But I don't think he would. Yeah, I don't think he would either. Um, Buffy has a scratch on her back. And I think it's hilarious. Smart play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a scratch. Can you look at it? But she's like sitting there holding her her cami over her chest as if like her tank top is so scandalous. And I was like, girl, I'm pretty sure I've seen you wear tank tops that were skimpier than that. But I think it's – I actually – I took it more as like she – feels very yes. vulnerable and because it's such an intimate moment yeah. and we see that the closer she gets to like angel and the more they kind of like she's like leaning on him or whatever like the more she kind of like lets it fall in a way of like she's kind of letting her guard yeah down. absolutely i and i you're spot on leah also okay do you guys think that the red sheets was a conscious choice mm. and why wasn't it white yeah was it were they red sheets or was it just a red blanket? Red, mm. red sheets. It's quite possible that it was symbolic, but I always feel like whenever like couples have sex for the first time or in TV shows, the the sheets are always red just because it's supposed to be like seduction, passion, and, passion and all that stuff. But it's quite possible. I mean, they were white earlier in the day when we saw them, but it probably too is just a lighting choice as well. I'm looking up the, the You're sheets. You're looking up the sheets, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I know that it was red somewhere and I'm pretty sure it was the sheets, but- It was red on the blankets, but it might've been red on the sheets too because I noted he has like a silk blanket over top. I'm pretty sure the white sheets were just to kind of like correlate with Angel wearing a white shirt, Buffy wearing a white jacket and just like the lighting and everything. It just looked beautiful. So we have this beautiful shot of her leaning back against him as he holds her. It's just really beautiful. It's a very tender and vulnerable moment. She says, you almost went away today, Angel. We both did. Buffy, Angel, I feel like I lost you. You're right, though. We can't be sure of anything. And this this is going back to the conversation she had with Willow at the beginning of the episode where she's talking about how, you know, you kind of have to just seize the moment. Oh, I just looked it up. It's red pillowcase and red blanket and then white sheets. Okay. All right. So yes and no. Yes and no. It's like everything. Yeah. And this conversation, I think this is Buffy finally knowing what she wants. And I think this is her also realizing that like she's – they're not certain of every day with each other. And so I think Mm -hmm. this is her telling him that she's ready. Angel starts to say, I, causing Buffy to turn around and face him. And she says, you what? And he says, I love you. I try hard not to, but I can't stop. (sighs) This whole scene makes me so sad. I mean, happy and sad. Like, sad because you're just like, these poor people deserve to be happy. But also just like, you just, you're rooting for them so much. And so like, to see them just being like, I just want to be with you. You're like, we want that too. But also like a happy moment between two couples is rarely rewarded. So anytime a happy moment always happens, I always get like a sinking feeling. Um, Cause I'm just like, this can't like last like this. I can't just like, they can't just give them like a wholesome moment and then just move on. Like yeah. that doesn't happen in Buffy. Yeah. Especially between these two. But I just wanted to note that his voice, he chokes up at the end and he starts to like cry along with her. And we haven't really seen Angel like this before. Um, and it's really beautiful. I think 
Buffy has broken down all of Angel's walls. And I think for the first time he feels safe. He feels fully seen. And it's a, it's a really lovely moment. I think he's also allowing himself to feel happy too. Yeah. So I think that is making him emotional because it's not like, it's not that he doesn't care for Buffy, meaning like that he hasn't shown that sort of emotion beforehand. I think he just hasn't allowed himself to. Like, this is the first time he has told her that he loves her. She has said that she's loved him, kind of reassuring him. I think that because it's enlightened me where he's like, do you love me? And so I feel like he needed reassurance being like, because he, I think he knew he loved her from like the beginning. I think it's very clear. Um, he needed reassurance, especially when you're being vulnerable with somebody and you're about to expose a lot about yourself. He was like, do you love me? Well, this is the time where he's able to like fully allow himself to like be that vulnerable and he said it first yeah no which is huge so buffy says me too i can't either they kiss angel tries to stop her says buffy maybe we shouldn't and she puts her hand over his mouth and says don't just kiss me we hear their theme as soon as angel says he loves her um and then it's implied that Mm -hmm. they sleep together and then we have a clap of thunder angel wakes up with a gasp naked seemingly in pain and is somehow fully clothed (laughs) they can never be freaking out yeah he rushes out into the alleyway the rain's still pouring down and we hear him screaming buffy in pain as we zoom in on buffy's peaceful sleeping face i think that's what's worse is like his final words of the episode is yelling out for buffy (laughs) maybe i'm just evil i just kind of find that funny like, he's just out in the rain. He's like, Buffy. And she's just like. Mm. Well, <laughs> like I mean, I feel bad for him because he he doesn't know what's happening, you know? So yeah. anyway, I think that is probably the most dramatic cliffhanger of the show yet. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Kendra was like pretty big. But this, this is just. I just like, oh, for those who have not seen this show before, I cannot wait for the next episode. Because You're in for a treat. There, I think there's very few things in Buffy that, because uh, I, I, I knew a lot of spoilers, and I, I, I knew spoilers to this as well, but watching it, even knowing spoilers, I was like, whoa. Like, it is just, it is not an episode you forget. Yeah. But you also just don't expect it to happen in this episode. It doesn't feel like, in the beginning, doesn't feel like it's building up to that. I mean, especially when she's wearing giraffe pants. <sighs> but like, I don't know, it, it comes Oh my gosh! I literally forgot the episode was named "Surprise," and I wasn't trying to like make Way a to break the like, fourth wall a, as a surprise. <laughs> uh, but I think that's literally what they're going for. So kudos to them. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, such a good episode, and I'm so excited to talk about innocence next week. So again, just a reminder to all of you out there: we will not be having the spoiler section for "Surprise" next week. It will be the spoiler-free section for Innocence, and then the week after we will do a spoiler section that combines both of them. Um, you guys can find mm-hmm. us on Instagram, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can also email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. Hey, if you've seen Buffy many times over, do you remember where you were when this happened? Let us know. We want to know your thoughts. <laughs> I know. But seriously. Reminds me of like the How yeah. Much Mother episode where they're talking about where when were Robin you? Sparkles turned <laughs> yeah. bad and what donut they're eating. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but no, but seriously, this this is a turning point for the entire show. And I think it's 
it left a mark on pop culture and on, you know, all Buffy fans everywhere. So let us know. Um, Yeah, we'll see you guys next week for Innocence. Can't wait. As always, we will see you next time.